Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports Time. We're Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Oklahoma State quarterback, former Oklahoma State quarterback, that is, Clint Shelf, set to join us as we will get Clint's thoughts on the Oklahoma State Cowboys heading into 2022. Go around the Big 12 with Clint when he stops by coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have our Big 12 breakdown as well as our football fix with Coach Bo, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week. All that and more coming up. And we'll also have our final draft season segment of the season. As this week, we will be drafting fake tough guys. And it is going to entertain you. I can guarantee you that much. All that and more on today's show. Thanks for making us a part of your day here on the Jones Sport. As Thomas Bridges is here with me. And he'll be here for most of today's show as always. Tom, how are we feeling? Oh, you know, essentially one week away from real college football. Even though this Saturday there'll be a game in, in freaking Ireland and... Uh, you know, some other games on that are outside the top 25. Uh, but I was reading, Tom, that you, what you're referring to is that Nebraska-Northwestern game right. in Dublin, Ireland. And the N for Nebraska, which I've always said, you know, it, it stands for knowledge. Um, it looks just like the red ends that – the people in Ireland put in the back of their windshields, which signal a novice driver. It's supposed to be for like teenagers. And so I imagine the people of Dublin might be a little confused right now with the Nebraska ends and, and people wearing that around. Cause I'm sure that the uh, Nebraska faithful uh, showed up, uh, had a good turnout there for this trip to Ireland probably. Oh, I'm sure I did see that tweet with that on there it, it, that should be pretty funny they're probably thinking a bunch of nebraska fans are going to be out there but it's actually just a bunch of people that can't drive so you know probably no different than a nebraska fan right. but as somebody that lived in nebraska for a year i think those that cannot drive would fit right in to be honest with those if they want to be nebraska fans and just always a novice driver yeah uh, Nebraska people, they 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 have no chill on the roads. Uh, they don't know how to use the passing lane. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, us Oklahoma people always say that, that about Kansas drivers too, though. But I, I guess you could claim both since you're technically from Oklahoma. But I'll tell you what, nobody drives like they do in Texas because the whole state is Texas Motor Speedway. Hey. You know, if you don't drive 10 miles an hour over, you're getting run off the road. I love the way people drive in Texas. They're aggressive as hell, but, man, everyone's going way past the speed limit. You don't have to worry about somebody hogging up the passing lane, and you're going to get to where you need to go. You're going to hustle there. And traffic, for as big of a city as Dallas is, isn't that bad, to be honest with you, compared to most major cities. I wish everybody drove like Texas did. Tom, I cannot get away with the way I drive here. I can't get away with that in Oklahoma. I'd get pulled over so fast, it'd be I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. last. Yeah, you get your license taken away, that's for sure. I mean, downtown Dallas, like after you get outside of Plano, on that little like where it's like kind of 
under not underground, but it's beneath like street level. Right. Going through there, I've done a hundred on that, no problem. And and I'm only doing a hundred because everybody else around me is doing a hundred. Right. Like it, and, and it's like if you don't have your white knuckle, if you don't have your balls in your lap, then you better you better get them that way because especially like, I remember the first time I drove, I was like, oh my god. You know, like, I remember going through the construction zone. People were doing 90, and the speed limit sign says, slow down, you know, please slow down for our workers. And I'm like, if this is slowed down, like, I don't I don't want to know how fast. And then, you know, I got closer to the heart of Dallas, and people were just flying. And I thought, just the cops, I mean, what can you do? If everybody else is doing that speed, you're, you know, as long as you fit right in, you're going to be all right. Right. Yeah, no kidding. The only thing you might get a ticket for is the uh, the carpool lane. Oh, yes, the HOV lane. They don't mess around about that HOV lane. I mean, if you are in the HOV lane, you can't have, like, a dummy dog or anything like that. Like, they will pull your ass over so fast. You're seen, getting ticketed. We, we've seen the Tom Fuller's where the guy had the sex doll <laughs> in, in the passenger seat. And they still got him. I mean, after the abortion uh, ruling went down from Roe versus Wade, and I'm, I'm not trying to get political here or anything, just retelling the story. Um, the after that went down the way it did, this uh, this pregnant woman was in the HOV lane, and she got ticketed, and she she said, "Look, uh, based on what you ruled, uh, I got a passenger in my belly right here." I mean, did they did they take the ticket away? They should. They they, they gave her a ticket for it. Yeah, I would have went. I would have taken it to court for sure. <laughs> I, I, I think she had uh, a good case. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on board, baby. You know, here in Dallas, we had uh, like record amounts of rain this week. It was like three months worth in like a seventy-two hour stretch. Tom, I felt like I was driving a boat the last few days. Yeah, you know, you you probably could have. I I seen it down there, and it it didn't even really rain up here in Tulsa, and but just by the look of it, I thought, oh my god! I mean, I I seen it. Did you? I guess you park in a parking garage at your apartment. Yes, well, that's good. The parking garage in my office, though, some pipes bursted, and our parking garage was flooded. So what would you wear, like boots, or how did you get to the office? Uh, so the first day I was wearing my Nikes, uh, and I didn't know about the pipes bursting, so that was a bad idea. But I've been wearing cowboy boots the last couple of days just as a, a measure to have a little extra protection for the feet. So, I mean, driving from your apartment parking garage to your work parking garage, that wasn't that bad, or was it pretty flooded? Uh, I mean, it, it was pretty bad for a couple days there. My five-minute drive turned into about a 10-minute drive both days. Um, people around here, you know, as much as I applaud them for how they manage highway speeds and not worrying about speeding at all, uh, I don't think people know how to drive in the rain. Yeah, you just wait till wintertime if Texas gets some more ice or snow. Oh, yeah. I, I probably won't get my car. I'll probably Uber to work at that point. Yeah, he'd probably be best best to do that for sure. Right. Look, I know I can drive in bad weather, but it's 
as my dad always told me growing up, it's like, hey, it's not you you have to worry about. It's the other idiots on the road. That is the truth. <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah. Another thing I found out about this rainfall time that, that we had the last few days, um, everybody was talking like, well, we needed the rain, you know, three-month drought, whatever. It turns out, like, most all the water went to this lake that supplies all the water, I kid you not, for Houston. Oh, my gosh. You guys didn't even benefit from it. Not at all. No. Oh, man. Yeah, that was that was something. Uh, I enjoyed the rain personally. I hope people were okay, but uh, that the, the was some dirty water. I, I saw some people tried to swim or kind of raft in it and whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll pass on that one. Uh, you don't know where the needles or all that stuff that's in that, that nasty water. I mean, that – that looks like water from the, the San Antonio River Walk out there. Yeah, no joke. I mean, any flood water you could you wouldn't find me in, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, Tom, uh, we got a lot to get to uh, on today's show. Uh, Clint Shelf is uh, going to join us uh, coming up later on as we'll get his insights on uh, Oklahoma State and uh, go around the uh, Big 12 Conference with him. But first, let's begin with our Big 12 breakdown this week. The Big 12 breakdown here on the Jones Sports, joined by Thomas Bridges as we will go around the Big 12 conference and a number of things that we want to touch on. And first and foremost, with just about a week until college football begins in the Big 12, I want to kind of highlight some of the more high-profile non-conference games. Unfortunately, the Big 12 is not playing any week zero games. Uh, but conference play, you know, games for the conference begin September 1st. And uh, on that night, you got Oklahoma State taking on Central Michigan. Oklahoma State should win that game pretty handily. But here's some of the na- games that come to mind. Tom, week one in the league isn't anything too exciting, to be honest. You got West Virginia Pitt on uh, opening night. Really good rivalry game there. Good test for uh, JT Daniels. And then uh, TCU and Colorado square off on uh, the next night, Friday, September 2nd. And then uh, the next day, September 3rd, is a bit of a dud. But those two games on Thursday and Friday of of next week, West Virginia Pitt, I'm very intrigued. We're going to see right away what J.P. Daniels is going to bring to West Virginia. To me, that is going to be fascinating to see uh, right out of the gates what he brings to the table. if, how much he can elevate this West Virginia offense. We know he's got talent. I mean, if if you find your way to get a scholarship from USC and from Georgia, you're pretty good for a reason, but he still hasn't put it all together yet. Now it's uh, it's put up or shut up time for JT Daniels, and as uh, Neil Brown is on the hot seat there in uh, Morgantown. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, if Neil Brown doesn't get it together now, um, you know, he could really make a statement in terms of, of coming out this game. I mean, the backyard brawl, uh, you know, it had been going on for so long prior. Um, and, you know, it's been 11 years <clears throat> since that game has been played. Uh, at least I believe, yeah, I guess it would be in the regular season. I don't think they ever met in the bowl game. Um, but it's been 11 years since this game was played. And so this is the first meeting since forever. Um, and, and West Virginia has the, you know, they, they, we've, I've always seen it. There was, you know, 
was each pit. And uh, I've, I've heard it and I've seen it on Twitter. And so I'm excited to watch that game. Um, you know, you mentioned JT Daniels. This is his time to shine. I mean, what better? This would be, I think, for West Virginia. I'm going to – it's not as serious, I don't think. But this would be like – this is their bedlam. Uh, you know, it's – it's this is their rivalry game. I, I can't think of another team that West Virginia would have beef with quite like they do with Pitt. Um, so right out of the gate playing this game, uh, you know, we're going to be able to see what both these teams are made of. You know, Pitt coming obviously off a, a pretty decent year and then – you know, you mentioned Neil Brown on the hot seat. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, lower stake, higher stake game type here. Uh, you know, not in, in the thick in the thick of things, this doesn't mean anything because neither of these teams are playoff bound. Um, but on the lower level of things, this, this is a, this is, I'll be watching this one. Yeah, Pitt coming in as defending ACC champions and. Uh, a preseason ranking of 17th, the highest that they've been in quite some time. Uh, West Virginia is going to be tested right away. This is a good opening night matchup. College game day is going to be there. Uh, it'll be a fun way to start off the season between those two. TCU and Colorado, uh, that game there, interesting circumstance. Uh, you know, Sonny Dykes, the uh, the new head coach there at uh, at TCU, uh, is going to play, he says, three quarterbacks in this game. Max Duggan, a senior, Chandler Morris, redshirt sophomore, formerly of Oklahoma, and then Sam Jackson, a redshirt freshman that apparently has impressed in camp at this point. Now, with that said, Tom, uh, there's a couple things that I take away from that. One, uh, what the hell is, is Sonny Dykes doing playing three quarterbacks? You know, two would have been uh, a lot as is. Three? I mean, my goodness, how's that offense going to find any rhythm? Two, Max Duggan, you're a senior now. How has he not secured this job at this point? As a senior at this point, if he can't put it together as the, you know, certain starting quarterback why is he still there and then three Chandler Morris I've always liked uh he impressed me with when he filled in for uh Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma when he did in that bowl game against Florida uh I think he's the best quarterback they got there I expect that Chandler Morris is going to be their guy uh when they get this all settled out if they pick the right quarterback it'll be Chandler Morris but it sounds like Sonny Dykes has a mess on his hands here. I mean, this this should be easier to figure out. He's making this more difficult than I think it has to be, Tom. Yeah, and it's it's maybe not the best look coming off, you know, his first real season, you know, after Gary Patterson is is left. And and you know, you take a look at TCU. I don't think they're contenders at all to win the Big 12, but you know, Colorado is no scrub either. You know, I I I think maybe take Colorado too lightly doing that. And Jones, you know, you have a, a line that you like to use that if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you have three quarterbacks, then what? Then you got negative one quarterbacks. There you go. That's that's math, folks. <laughs> that is. Uh, moving ahead, more notable games to look at. Week two, Iowa State taking on Iowa. Iowa State's lost, what is it, six or seven straight? to Iowa, 
Last year, Iowa State was a preseason top five team, and Iowa came in and kicked their ass. And both teams are expected to be down from what they were, you know, kind of rebuilding of sorts. But if Iowa State was going to beat Iowa, last year would have been the year, and they still could not get it done. As much good as we've talked about Matt Campbell, the job that he's done at Iowa State, he still hasn't beat Iowa yet at this point. Um, Tom, th- this kind of reminds me of Bedlam in a sense with OU and OSU. I mean, it, I have no reason to pick Iowa State until they show me otherwise. Last year, they, they blew a golden goose there. Yeah, and, you know, we, we talk about this, or at least I do. I know the past two seasons I said it. I said it last year. And I know for a fact I said it the year before because I believe that's when the Raging Cajuns got him. Um, you know, and I, I damn sure know I said it last year. You can, we can go back and listen. I said, Jones, listen, this Iowa State team, they always start off slow for They're some reason. They're bad in September. Yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, you know, no more Brock Purdy either. You know, they, I think, was it maybe even two years ago or maybe even three years ago, Northern Iowa guy gave him a scare. Uh, and I think Iowa State pulled it off. I'm trying to think when that game was, but, you know, so they always start off bad in September. They can't seem to put it together, and then, you know, you're famous on the show for having a hard-on for Brock Brocktober. So no more Brocktober. I, I do see the similarities, unfortunately, with Matt Campbell and Mike Gundy, uh, just, just because it's like, well, when you're supposed to be good or – I mean, last year for Iowa State reminded me of of Mason Rudolph's final season. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma State was supposed to be so good, and they were not bad, but they definitely did not live up to the hype. And you know, without Brock Purdy now, uh, without Charlie Kolar, without uh, Brees Hall, I I I don't know where they're going to find the outfit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Texas taking on Alabama. Going to be on a big noon kickoff. Uh, you know, huge game. The biggest home game in Austin in a long time with the number one team coming into town. Maybe the biggest home game ever, uh, quite frankly, that, that they've ever had uh, with, with this Alabama team coming into town. And, you know, Quinn Ewers is going to get the start. And this Alabama team is so stacked with – Bryce Young and Will Anderson and and everybody there. Tom, I, I feel like I'm mentally preparing myself now in that if, if Texas keeps it close, within 10 even, we're going to hear all the hype about, wow, look, Texas went toe-to-toe with the number one team. I mean, would it be embarrassing if they got blown out for, for the league, for the Big 12? I mean, sure it would, but – Selfishly, I'm like, Alabama, just go ahead and do Alabama. Do your thing. Put the thumping on Texas, and then people can shut up about Texas. Because, I mean, even if they come within a touchdown or or 10 points, whatever, Alabama, that doesn't necessarily mean that Texas is any good. It just means that they were good on that day, you know, that they they were good enough to contend at home and everything. Texas should be able to, to keep this within 10 points, uh, you would think. But knowing this team, I, I feel like there's a very good chance that 
this is going to get ugly in the second half. And uh, that, that Alabama team is just far superior. And, and, and I think better coach more than anything. I, I, this is a tall task for anybody to face Alabama, let alone a freshman quarterback in Quinn Ewers in his second career start. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be tough. And, and you know, I think for, for Texas, I think you have to – if this was Oklahoma State playing – I would I would think of it this way, because uh, I don't I mean Texas fans a lot of them are not the brightest and a, a lot of them are also Dallas Cowboy fans, uh, <laughs> and so it's always you know it's very very similar between Austin and Dallas in terms of this is our year or we're you know Dallas's line Dallas Cowboys line is this is our year and University of Texas's line is we're back, uh, it's pretty much saying the same thing and so I I think if you're a rational Texas fan, like I said, if this is Oklahoma State, even playing in Stillwater, I would say, listen, if we can lose by less seventeen or less, I'm taking that as a, a as a as a win in my book. I'm saying, you know what, we have no business. Texas has no business being in Alabama, even in Austin. I, I think it's sold out. There's going to be over a hundred thousand people there. It's going to be electric. Uh, it's gonna. I think it's gonna even be loud, but it's it's not gonna phase them. Uh, Alabama is gonna be too much for them, you know. Maybe later on in the season, if Texas could, you know, work out some kinks, you know, Sark's still working out the kinks. And you mentioned Quinn Ewers his second career start. I mean, maybe further on in the season they could play closer. But I think you're absolutely right. The second half, it, it could get ugly. Yeah, it very well could. Uh, Texas is uh, going to be in for an interesting <laughs> awakening there uh, going up against this Alabama team. And uh, selfishly, I-, I hope that Alabama wins big just so we can shut up about Texas and not have any buildup towards towards uh, Red River about, you know, wow, look, Texas is back. They went toe-to-toe with Bama, you know. I mean, put, put them in their place, uh, Alabama. Um, also that week, Houston taking on Texas Tech. Houston is a preseason top 25 team and uh, Texas Tech with the new head coach and uh, McGuire, the uh, assistant from Baylor that they brought over there. The game is in Lubbock. We saw these two teams play recently where Texas Tech beat Houston in Houston. And I I feel like, Tom, you know, know, they're going to be Big 12 members together starting next year. It's almost like getting a head start on things with these two going up head to head. I feel like Houston and Texas Tech could be good measuring sticks of each other. Houston, a bigger market, maybe more easier to bring talent. Texas Tech, more of an established name. Uh, you know, got a huge uh, NIL collective of you know twenty five grand per player there. Um, to me, I, I think these programs are going to be very comparable here. And and uh, Dana Holgerson, I'm excited about having him in the Big 12. But let's see what uh, what they have for Texas Tech. This is, a, this is a very good measuring stick, I think, for both teams here. Yeah, I think you can compare them and, and be very similar. I think this is going to be a pretty good game. Uh, you know, I, I inclinations more so probably towards Tech. But I, I like the measuring stick comparison. Yeah, I think so. Arizona State and uh, OSU. Tom and I are going to be at that game. It's a uh, it's a primetime game that's Saturday night, September tenth. And Tom, uh, Arizona State, they lost Jaden Daniels to LSU. 
Uh, lost a lot of talent. I mean, they are not a good football team. Oklahoma State should be able to have their way. And, you know, if, if Spencer Sanders takes care of the football and this OSU defense plays like they're capable of, uh, this could be a long night for Arizona State. I, I, I don't think that they can hang with the physicality of this Oklahoma State team. No, neither do I. And, and I think this is a good primer game. I mean, it's going to be better talent. Um, recruiting-wise or player-wise and what they would see from Central Michigan, knock on wood, and what they'll see even in week three versus Arkansas Pine Bluff. So I, I think this is, at least for the OSU coaching staff, is where they're going to uh, make their money, so to speak, in terms of, of seeing who's who. And it, out of the non-con games OSU plays, you know, I would, I would take Arizona State over Central Michigan and I'd take Arizona State over – Arkansas Pine Bluff of all teams. So I, I think this is where OSU is going to get their most uh, kind of analysis of who they got or uh, kind of putting the final pieces together before they would go play in Waco in week four. Uh, week two, you also have K-State taking on Mizzou. Uh, K-State, I think that the hype train is starting to build the last couple of weeks about them as a surprise team, a sleeper team in the Big 12. You take on this Mizzou team that is not very good. Um, K-State should win this game, Tom, but even with them expected to win, I think this would do a lot for morale, and, and especially when you talk about recruiting in Kansas City and everything. If if K-State, this win could do a lot for them, of even in the future of where things are going with Mizzou and the SEC and the direction of that. K-State, we, we know that KU's, you know, still a ways back from both these schools right now. K-State has an opportunity to, to build some momentum on the recruiting trail with this with this win if they can get this done. I think in, in that early in the season, they could get, you know, a nice, maybe not a big momentum builder, but definitely a confidence boost if they can go out and take care of business against Mizzou. I, I think they should, but Deuce Vaughn and uh, they have they have a pretty good defensive player. I, forgive me, I forget who it is, but yeah, I think he won some preseason award. Um, so I, I think they got a decent foundation. Be interesting to see how they they do at quarterback. I mean, yeah, that's kind of an issue for the last several years with the Skylar Thompson carousel. Right, they're going to Adrian Martinez, the former Nebraska quarterback. We know he's talented, um, but can he take care of, of the football? That remains to be seen. Baylor takes on BYU in week two. And Baylor is getting a lot of hype. A lot of people like what this Baylor team brings to the table, despite only bringing back 12 starters from last year's team. Blake Shapin uh, looked really good in that Big 12 championship game. But a BYU team that's preseason top 25, future Big 12 member going out there uh, to Provo. It's a night game. This feels spooky. The Baptists versus the Mormons. Tom, this is a total trap game for Baylor here. Um, would not shock me at all if BYU win, wins this game and if they win from start to finish. It's not a knock on Baylor. I think that BYU is a good football team. They're well coached. And, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's, it's tough. On the road in Provo at night, uh, get used to it. The, these are games the Big 12 is going to have to get used to of these Nine o'clock kickoffs out in Provo is uh, going to be some of the toughest environments, I think, in the conference going forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and and it's going to be, uh, it's it's 
it's most definitely a trap game and and being so early you know BYU is going to want to come out and make a statement against the past Big 12 winner before they get into the Big 12 um you know I'm sure if BYU does pull it off we will not be hearing the end of oh we beat Baylor and we you know they'll be talking a lot of very uh clean trash talk coming in the next year if they can pull this off um and I know they're gonna want to uh I mean I'd, I'd love to see the spread on this or I can't wait to see the spread when it comes out because I bet it's BYU or I bet it's Baylor by three yeah yeah I, I could see that uh you move on to week three OU takes on Nebraska that game in Lincoln and OU got quite the scare last year losing or not losing uh beating Nebraska but in a very close game and it was kind of a sign for the rest of the season Oklahoma was not blowing teams out last year even when they made the quarterback change went to Caleb Williams that OU team was barely squeaking by and that Nebraska team last year despite only winning three games they played everybody close including Ohio State. You go into Lincoln, Nebraska's got much higher expectations this year. Some people are saying they could even win the division potentially there in the Big Ten. That might be a reach, but you bring in Casey Thompson, former Texas quarterback, Oklahoma, uh, new head coach and and Brent Venables, new quarterback, and uh, Dylan Gabriel and everything. Um, This, Tom, uh, rivalry game and everything, we don't know if OU and Nebraska are going to play again for a while here. Um, This, we mentioned trap game earlier with Baylor and BYU. This is a trap game here. This, this, I think, is going to be tougher than people realize if Oklahoma going on the road to to Lincoln in this game here. This this game, I think, is going to be pretty close. I think it could be, too. And, you know, I I would assume – who does Nebraska will play in Ireland this Saturday? Yes. And they would have, I'm assuming, a week off? Uh, Nebraska is, uh, no, they're playing three straight games before they play OU. So they'd play an extra game before OU does. We'll see. I'll be interested to see how they play in Ireland versus Northwestern. But I I think you're right. I think it is going to be closer, I think. Venables and Gabriel still will need to be working some things out. OU plays UTEP first, so not a very tough challenge by any by any means. I mean, it's that should be a cakewalk there. But uh, you know, I guess I guess Nebraska in that case, if they're going to Ireland, coming back, and then the next week later playing again, and then then OU, I think that that Nebraska will will see what they're made of. Yeah, I think so. Um... Also that week, Texas Tech takes on NC State. Tough non-con for Texas Tech. Uh, And this NC State team is getting a lot of love. The best NC State team maybe since Phillip Rivers was on campus or Russell Wilson. I mean, preseason top 13. The game's on the road there. Um, If you're Texas Tech, at least you already know who you are. You've played a top 25 team in Houston just a couple of weeks prior, but that's a, that's a tough start to the season for the Red Raiders, Tom, with those non-conference games there. Yeah, it's a tough tough out, too, for McGuire coming in his first real year as the coach of, of, of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I mean, you're not going to find a, a tougher task uh, with the talent you have at Tech 
and being under a brand new coach. So I, I you know, I, I do like tech, um, maybe not in this game, but just in general to get better than they were last year, but still it's tough out. Yeah. And, uh, then last non-conference game I'll mention here week four, West Virginia takes on Virginia tech in Blacksburg credit to the Mountaineers. We talked about tough non-conference schedules. They're playing two of their biggest rivals, and they're playing them both on the road. Uh, Virginia Tech's not expected to be that great of a team this year, but it's a rivalry game. Um, you're already going to have the pit game under your belts and everything. Um, it, it, I, I'll tell you, we're going to know everything we need to know about JT Daniels and West Virginia by week four. When they have two rivalry games in their, under their belt like that, um, you know, the big Big Twelve play. They're they're going to be ready right away. We're we're going to look at other teams, and Big Twelve play is going to be quite a step up with some teams playing easy non conference schedules. West Virginia, they might take a couple L's in these non conference games, but they're certainly going to be battle testing when they enter conference play. Yeah, that's the truth. And you know, you said Tech is not going to be well. Virginia Tech, that is, is not going to be. They're not expected to be that great this year. Uh, and I, I agree. It, for just from looking at them, the eye test, it seems like they probably won't be anything too exciting or anything too crazy. But I'll, I'll tell you what, just from watching on TV, I can tell you that the Hokie fans still go crazy and that that atmosphere is not going to be one that you would want to play in. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you that Mountaineers wish they were, you know, back home on the country roads for at least one of those games. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, coming up in uh, just a few moments from right now, Clint Shelf is going to stop by. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys and to go around the uh, Big 12 Conference with Clint. But before we do, uh, real quick, a great article was uh, put together this week by our friends at Heartland College Sports. And uh, the guys at uh, Heartland went around and had a drink from every Big 12 school, the most popular drink. And uh, here's what they were, in case you didn't know. Um, Tom, Texas is uh, Tito's Vodka. I, I don't know anybody that hates Tito's Vodka. I mean, that's, that, that's yeah. a pretty safe bet, right? Yeah, I mean, it's made right there in Austin. You know, that's a – I mean, it's, it's you know, Tito's and soda and lime is a, is a classic – Classic drink, so I, I can see that. That's an easy one. Um, for Texas Tech, a Chimmy's Margarita. I guess uh, Chimmy's is a uh, it's a chain uh, that uh, started based in uh, Lubbock, and uh, they get a pretty good margarita. Tom, uh, for, for me, a margar a good margarita. You got to have some tahini on the rim. Uh, that, that's one thing since I moved to Texas that has changed me. I, I've become a tahini guy. Yeah, I can see that. That would be good. I'd take tahini over salt any day. And, and you know, I'm looking at this article, too, because, because there's there's a Chimmy's in Tulsa. There's, I think there's two or three, actually. But this one is spelled – this Lubbock one is spelled C-H-I-M-Y-S. And the ones in Tulsa are C-H-I-M-I-S. So – and I've had the one – I've had the I-M-I-S ones here in Tulsa. Not that great. So – if I ever get down to Lubbock, I'll have to try the chimneys with a Y. So for KU, um, the the drink that was brought up was uh, bourbon and Coke, which 
you know, I mean, yes, that I, I have seen that around Lawrence uh, from time to time, but Everclear is usually the, uh, the the drink of choice in Lawrence. You know, it's it's a clear spirit, about 190 proof. Um, but for me, if, if we're really going based on Lawrence, I mean, my visits, Tom, are to the 23rd Street Brewery and getting the Crimson Fog and getting those fresh beers on tap. That's what I think of when I think Lawrence and, and alcohol. And you got Boulevard there, I mean, uh, with with uh, Boulevard Wheat and all that. I mean, I, I would say that Lawrence and Kansas City, we're, we're known for our beer more than our spirits. Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know, I have a really good friend that uh, that, that lives in Bartlesville that I that I see when I go back home and he's a big KU fan and he goes all the time to Lawrence and uh he, he's a big bar crawl guy and he's always posting Snapchats or Instagram stories and and I I have seen him post um that he doesn't really go in football season for obvious reasons it's a waste of gas <laughs> 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 I mean basketball season I see him up there all the time and he'll be on Mass Street, and I do see him post. Oh, the classic bourbon and coke. Um, so I do see that. But you're right about the beer. I'm just, I, that could have been either or. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, Iowa State probably the easiest guess of any of them on here. Bushlight and you know Bushlight, Tom. You get what you pay for. It's cheap. It's not terrible. Uh, but it gets the job done. Uh, Iowa State and Bush Light, I, I don't know if you can name a better duo. I don't know if there's a school that loves a beverage more than Iowa State fans love Bush Light. I mean, that's very true. And it was seemed apparent like they pushed it. You know, I, a, a funny story about Bush Light, too. I, Jones, I was DJing this little event and, uh, in Bortlesville, a little summer get-together on their green space. And it was money went to a good cause, and they had twenty dollars all you could drink beer, and they had Michelob, Bushlight, and some other like cheap beer, maybe like PBR. But it all went to a good cause, so I bought me a cup. And I asked the lady; she, I was asking what they had. She goes Michelob, PBR, and then she goes, I think she was in the moment. She goes Bush Latte, and and she quickly corrected herself to Oh Bushlight, and I was like, No, I'll have a Bush Latte. <laughs> She was, I mean, she was, she was probably close pushing 50. So she was, you could tell she was very, she was red in the cheeks, but I loved it. Uh, TCU uh, over in Fort Worth. I'll have to try this because uh, I'm not too far away now. Uh, I guess their staple is called a purple shot, which includes Tito's, sweet and sour, Gatorade, some syrup of some sorts. Uh, uh, blue, blue, blue carousel. Yeah, I've never heard of this, but I'd give it a shot. I think it could. It wouldn't be too bad. I, I'm looking at his, his at this post though, and at first when you told me about this before I went and checked it out, I was thinking they like went to an establishment in each of these cities, and it just looks like they just made him at home, which uh, I mean, in my opinion, takes away a little bit of credibility. But obviously, you know, you can't just fly out to West Virginia on a whim. Um, just for a drink, right? Um, and, you know, Artland's based out of Kansas City, so it's not like you're going to drive to Fort Worth for this purple shot. Um, but it does look interesting. It doesn't look necessarily like a shot. It looks like more like a, a, a crazy mixed drink. Yes. 
uh, Baylor, Balcones uh, Bourbon, 92 proof with a honey apple and a caramel taste of sorts. And uh, I can't imagine that Baylor's easy to kind of pick an alcohol for, but uh, uh, it's distilled there in uh, Waco. And Tom, that, that sounds like an odd taste for uh, for whiskey. I, I usually don't think of honey, apple, and caramel when it comes to a, a whiskey. I do think of caramel just because of the oak and a lot of a lot of the whiskeys that I have. You can get some oakiness and some caramel notes even some of them have like a coffee flavor on the back end but uh yeah i haven't tried this i've you know i'm obviously a big fan of whiskey but i have not had this yet um so and, and i'm thinking about going to waco for oklahoma state at baylor october 1st so maybe i'll give a report back maybe i'll try this if i go down there uh west virginia they're burning couches and they're drinking moonshine and uh, the article that Hartland's got, they're showing Old Smoky, which is good, but it's not real moonshine. It's the, the store brand, brand uh, stuff. But, I mean, Tom, Jones, you've I, had feel real- like, I feel like we could have a dangerous night in, in West Virginia if we just embraced all that West Virginia has to offer, Tom. You know, I had plane tickets last year to go to Oklahoma State in Morgantown, and I – I held back and canceled them about a month prior and decided to save my money. But um, that was one of the, the the points that I wanted to go. I wanted to go drink moonshine in that stadium. Um, and I know I think the couch burning has kind of pulled back a little bit than what it was maybe early on um, or in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know why they get wild. Some I've heard – I've heard West Virginia fans are really very nice. And then I've heard some horror stories and, you know, maybe that's because of the shine. Uh, and Jones, both of us have, have had the real shine, not the old smoky moonshine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, courtesy of your father, uh, John Bridges. And it does not disappoint. Yes. Maybe we'll send some down to chat sports. Hey, I, I could go for some moonshine. A moonshine boot. No, you'd be. You'd be in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I would be. Uh, Tom, your your school, Oklahoma State, the Limey. Tell me about the Limey. Limey's, a, you know, vodka-based drink, and you know he looks like he kind of has it down. There's probably like some, I, you know, I've tried. I've watched him make Limey several times, but the time that I decided to get a Limey, it's at the Cooper Penny, right? The, the Copper Penny, yeah. Copper Penny, yeah. And so, looking at his picture, it does kind of look like a Limey. There's for one, I can I'll be I'll be critical here just because I can be. It's not as a styrofoam cup one. I can tell you any Oklahoma State person that sees this would be like, nope, it's not real. It's not a styrofoam cup. Um, but you can get I, I really prefer the cherry limeade limey. And cause they have like several, you can get pretty much any flavor. I've had I always go with the watermelon one or the cherry limeade one when I go. Um, but it's a vodka based drink. Um, there's some other like sweeter like, kind of syrups in it or like sweeter liqueurs in it. Um, and then, like I said, it's topped with some flavoring. Um, and they come in, a, he he's, looks like he's got the size right though. It comes in a 32 ounce styrofoam cup. Um, this isn't a styrofoam cup. I get it. He's posting it for clarity in terms of what it looks like, but 
big points and would be up to him uh, if he could get a styrofoam cup. That that would be that's a real limey. Well, Jones, we'll drink a limey when we go to Arizona State. Okay, vodka, sweet and sour mix, uh, Sprite, lime juice. Yeah, looks pretty good. Um, OU, the swirl, margarita and sangria swirled together. Um, you can get it at the Mont there in uh, Norman. Tom, I've never heard of this, but it sounds like an interesting idea. It does sound interesting. And, and you know, I, I've i seen margaritas swirled with um, – like a strawberry daiquiri type frozen mix. I've seen those two swirl together. I have not seen sangria swirled into a margarita, but honestly, can't be too. Doesn't look like it'd be too bad. No, not at all. Uh, and it's uh, with the swirl, you get OU's colors, crimson and cream, in the uh, drink. Last one here, K State, the Nancy, which is supposed to be. Uh, PBR and pineapple juice mixed together, and uh, it's either actually I take that back, not PBR, Bushlight or uh, Old Milwaukee, um, which is uh is the choice there with uh, with pineapple juice. That uh that one doesn't sound too appetizing. I'll be honest there, Tom. You know, in the article, it says it tastes like a fruity Hawaiian beer, almost mimosa like. You know, Jones, I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the TikTok trend or I've seen the one where the guy had the bush light mixed with Mountain Dew. I could definitely see this being somewhat similar to that. I would try this. I can't imagine it would be the best, but I, I would try this. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Well, there you have it. That's a, a very interesting look at the uh, most popular drinks among the uh, Big 12 Conference and its members. Coming up next, Clint Shelf is set to join us as we'll get his thoughts on the Big 12 Conference and break down Oklahoma State. He'll be here on the other side. Stay with us. Joining us now, the Jones Sport this week, front of the show, is back Clint Shelf, former Oklahoma State quarterback, also with the Oklahoma State radio network on their pregame coverage, and uh, excited to have him on and talk about all things happening with the Pokes and around the rest of the Big 12 as Clint Shelf joins us right now. Glad, glad to have you back, man, and uh, some exciting times for you. You got a, a newborn at home, right? That's right, yeah. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, things have changed a little bit in my world. We have a uh, five-month-old daughter now in our household, so uh, it's keeping me, keeping me busy, and uh, I can't wait to sit on the couch with her and watch a little football. <laughs> and, and and I'm sure she'll be an, an OSU fan and a Thunder fan uh, down the line too. Oh yeah, absolutely. She doesn't really have an option there. <laughs> that's great, Clint. Excited for you uh, and your family. Uh, that's great there, uh, Clint. Uh, this off season, here we are. Uh, just you know, what is it? Over a week away from the full slate of football games. We'll have a week zero games this week, but. An eventful offseason with all these changes in a college football from NIL to the transfer portal to uh, USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten here. I mean, I, I don't know if, if there's ever been this much change involved in the sport right now, Clinton. Yeah, not that I can remember. Uh, it, it almost doesn't even seem like, you know, the same the same atmosphere, the same not necessarily game, but what we used to play. You know, I mean, it was it was 
pretty steady there. And, and if anything happened, uh, it was usually minor compared to what hap- what's happening now with all the, the teams leaving conferences. And it sounds like, you know, this is just the beginning. Uh, from, from, I saw a report yesterday that the, the Big Ten has still got its sights set on a couple Pac-12 teams. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there's a changing landscape and it's just going to keep evolving uh, more and more as we as we continue into the season. Yeah, and uh, in Oklahoma State situation, it looks like that they're pretty well set in the Big 12 for now, and unless we hear otherwise. But the future of the Big 12 feels like it, it's stabilized over the last couple of months. It does. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously Texas and Oklahoma were the first two big pillars to fall, and now USC and UCLA have moved. But um, for a while there, you know, it's like, Big 12, what are we going to do? Who's going to absorb us? Where are we going to go? We're all fighting for, uh, you know, those those few spots. And, and now, yeah, it really does. It feels it feels like uh, we've kind of stabilized, got some new leadership. Um, and, you know, the Pac-12, I think I think USC and UCLA moving is as bad as that's going to be for the Pac-12 and, and, you know, the tradition that they have. I think that that move could could possibly help uh, the Big 12. You know, I think if if the Big Ten gets a couple more teams out of there, then then some of those teams will be looking to stabilize. And then the Big 12 looks looks pretty good right now to them. Yeah. And, and with that said, of possible teams, I know that the four corner schools, uh, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State have been kind of the ones linked to the Big 12 over the you know last month or so. Uh, for you, Clint, uh, what, what, what comes to mind? What would you like to see potentially? Who do you think of, of maybe out, out West would be a good fit for this league if it were to expand, take some Pac-12 teams? Yeah, I think I think those four teams are, are perfect. Um, you know, obviously adding BYU, if you get Utah, I think that's a natural rivalry, rivalry that helps out, um, you know, in the state of Utah. And then, I, you know, Colorado left right as I was getting to Stillwater. So I never got to go uh, to Boulder and play up there. They, I think they played there maybe right before I left, the year before. So uh, always looking forward to, to, you know, bringing a team like Colorado back. And, and you know, the Arizona schools um, – you know, they're, they're pretty solid all around. I think they can be a big market for, for the Big 12, and it's good to have a pair of them together. So, um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Those four teams, I think, fit pretty well geographically. Obviously not perfect with, uh, you know, where West Virginia is, but as good as you're probably going to get in this landscape. Yeah, and, and what I find interesting, too, as far as, like, you know, taking a step back and, you know, the, the vision of this league, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas gone, um, Oklahoma State's athletic department as a whole is as good as any of these schools remaining and the facilities and the money. Um, I mean, there's a chance, Clint, you know, I mean, you talk about being the power broker or whatnot. OSU very well might be the flagship university of this new Big 12 here. Yeah, it could be. Um, You know, there's still a lot of, of really good schools and really good athletic departments, but you know, I know I've gotten to know Chad Weiberg uh, in his tenure at, at Oklahoma State, the athletic director, and um, Casey Schrum, the new president. And, you know, they, it's a priority to them. And 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 they want to be on the forefront. They want to be in those conversations. And I think that's what you need is, is those those people in the leadership positions to uh, to be innovative and, and to be creative and, and to keep pushing those boundaries and pushing your school to be better. And, and they've done a great job with um uh, with, with facilities, with, with fundraising for money, and, and Oklahoma State really is positioned really well. We, we, we've had a lot of success in a lot of different sports the last last few years, um, and 
And I think that that mantle is going to be taken up by somebody. I think it has to be to, to keep the conference running at, at what we think it could be. And, um, you know, I'm really excited for the future. Yeah, and there's uncertainty about the future of Bedlam. More than likely won't be played for at least a while anyway. But not being in the same conference as Oklahoma, and we mentioned kind of being potentially the face of the Big 12, Clint, do you think uh, this could be beneficial to OSU uh, possibly to – maybe even stand out more of sorts. Uh, do you think it could be beneficial to be out of OU and Texas's shadow a bit maybe here? Yeah, that's tough because anytime you play those teams, and, and obviously this is the reason they're leaving, you're going to get more eyeballs, right? And they're right. the big draw. And, and so when you play with them, you get more eyeballs, and that's good exposure for your school. But, um, you know, anytime that you have a better opportunity to hang conference banners, that's also going to help, right? And, and having, having an OU who, who's been – you know, dominant in football for the last, you know, however many years, uh, that, that, that'll give you more exposure, right? You, you hang those banners, then you get more exposure. But um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a sad deal, a bad deal for, for the time being. I do think that at some point, if it goes away, that it will have to be brought back. I think I don't, you know, once everything kind of stabilizes and the schedules, you know, you get those figured out, then you can start planning and then, uh, you know, working that in. So, it is a it is a good opportunity for Oklahoma State, and I think you know, like we just talked about, that we're positioned well to, to kind of fill those spots along with you know maybe a Baylor or um, you know some of the other premier programs that are in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, certainly so. So Clint, uh, let's let's talk football on on the gridiron now uh, for your folks, the Oklahoma State Cowboys here in 2022. Uh, Spencer Sanders coming in as the reigning Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year, but. I think everybody's still thinking about that four interception performance he had in the Big 12 title game. What do we need to see out of Spencer Sanders here in his uh, senior year at Oklahoma State? Consistency. I think that's really, really the only thing that's left, the, the final piece of the puzzle for him. You know, you look at the last two games from last year, right? You think it, you, you talked about the four interception Baylor game in the Big 12 championship, but then you look at the Fiesta Bowl and what he did against Notre Dame, especially in that second half and, and put up maybe one of the, the best uh, quarterback performances in, in Oklahoma State history. So, you know, I think it for him, he's going to need to be really consistent. It's going to be a young wide receiver group, possibly some run, young running backs. So uh, he's going to have to to be that steady Eddie, be that guy that kind of keeps everybody even keel throughout the season because there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows. And I think, you know, he, he's got all the talent in the world, and I think he's put that on display many times. But you've got to, you've got to control it and, and avoid the big miss and the big mistakes. So um, I think he understands that, and as he's gotten older, he's gotten better at that. But if he stays consistent, I think the, the Oklahoma State offense should be pretty good. Yeah, and you, you mentioned some of the young guys in the, in the receiving core. You know, I, I'm excited, Clint, about the Presley brothers there uh, I mean, you, you've seen them right there, what, what they did at Bigsby, and already the older one, of course, was uh, emerging, and you bring in uh, the second one now. I mean, that's going to be a, a dynamic one-two punch, I think, with, with those guys. Yeah, I always like to see see uh, brothers play on the same field, and, and uh, you know, that's something that Colton and I got to do. So, uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're very, very exciting players, both of them. Both of them are electric. I, I think back about the the catch against Iowa State that Brennan had last year, and uh, they're just they're just extremely talented, and they're the, they're the guys that uh, a quarterback really likes because they're friendly. They get open. Uh, you know, those quick slot guys are, are are 
really kind of a quarterback's best friend because it's hard to cover those guys and they can get one to two yards of separation. You don't always have to worry about throwing up a 50, 50 ball. They can usually get open. So um, yeah, there's some exciting young talent uh, and coach Dunn will do a good job of uh, developing that. And it seems like we've always got a few guys that step up at wide receiver and, and I expect that to, to continue this year. The running back position for OSU, I mean, has been so solid with sending guys consistently to the pros, even, even most recently, Jalen Warren, who didn't get drafted, all of a sudden looks like he's going to be on the Steelers' active roster in the 53-man and has impressed in the preseason, it seems. So with that, now, you know, turning to another running back with, uh, with, with Dominic Richardson and with DeAndre Jackson, how are those guys going to fit in uh, to uh, this great history of OSU running backs we've seen as a light? Do you think these guys are going to get it done? I do. Uh, you know, I really like the way the way Dom runs. Um, he, he's gotten to some big games last year and and ran well um, as, as a younger guy. So, um, you know, I really expect him to kind of just step in and fill that fill that role. Um, I, I think he's got he's got enough talent. He runs hard. He hits it downhill and, and he's not fun to tackle. I don't know if you saw some of his highlights from last year, but but he he is is punishing and physical when he runs. And I think that's what you need. But, you know, it all it all revolves around the offensive line, right? And and our guys have been really good run blocking in the, in the last few years, and I expect them to to be good run blockers again this year and open up holes and, and then let those running backs kind of hit it how they how they do. Yeah, uh, and and with with what Gundy does, you know, with the running backs, it's it's not just that, but the the whole cowboy back thing. Uh, Clint, uh, you know, Mike Gundy. Uh, what what is this? In case people don't know, I mean, it's the the tight end H back hybrid, but you're kind of asked to do things of both. I mean, what, how does the, the cowboy back position, how would you explain it to the uh, the folks at home that may not understand what OSU is doing here with those guys and their impact on the run and pass game? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. I would just explain it as uh, a rebranded, an OSU-branded tight end <laughs> pretty much. I mean, they, they do light up in the backfield a little bit more, but I think as you look across uh, – not only college football, NFL, tight ends are asked to do more and more. Uh, they're kind of a, a, a position that can create some mismatches. And so when you have somebody talented, you want to put them in as many different positions to give as many different looks as you possibly can. So, uh, yeah, I think I would just consider it uh, a tight end. I guess you could call it a tight end fullback. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a well-branded uh, position for the Cowboys. I was hoping that would catch on, that other schools all of a sudden would – have the cowboy back position, you know, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. Was yeah, there. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even like, you know, a school like Wyoming, you know, that, that's the Cowboys or something too, but uh, that didn't occur. So with that, uh, let's talk defense now. Uh, you, you move on, a new defensive coordinator coming in, Derek Mason from Auburn. Uh, after you know, the, the years of success this, this defense had, uh, what can uh, what, what do you expect out of Derek Mason here? How's is the defense going to look different compared to what we saw last year and one of the best defenses in the country uh, back in 2021? Yeah, I think anytime uh, that you take a coordinator that's as hands-on as Jim Knowles was and replace yeah. him, that, that the defense is going to look look different. And that different doesn't necessarily mean worse or better. It's just going to be Derek Mason's defense, right? And, uh, you know, as, as, as assistant coaching and, and coordinators go, I think that he's by far the most – high-profile, talented guy that they've probably brought in, right? And, and uh, so I'm really excited to see see what he does. And, and 
you know, I think Oklahoma State's still going to have one of the better D-lines in the country, you know, getting Trace Ford back and, and returning a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, as you break in some of the newer or not necessarily young, but but less experienced guys in the secondary, the be- their best friend is going to be a good pass rush, right? They don't have to cover right. as long. Um, you get quarterbacks under, under duress throwing balls up in the air. So, um, you know, I think it starts up front with that defensive line, and, and I expect – uh, uh, Derek Mason to, to build those guys up and to put them in, in, in great positions to, to help out that secondary. Yeah. Uh, Trace Ford, uh, Colin Oliver. I mean, all these guys up there, I mean, they're, they're going to be able to have uh, quite the pass rush. It seems. Yeah. Uh, those two guys are, are pretty good. I, I was excited to, you know, in, the, in this crazy world of, of NIL and, you know, other schools throwing bags of money. I was really excited that Colin Oliver, uh, you know, decided to say, I have no idea if somebody offered him a bunch of money or not or wanted him to leave. I, I assume that everybody would have been calling on, on, on his cell to, to get him to come. But, yeah, that's going to be a really, really formidable pass rush with those two guys. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited. Last year watching that defense, and, and now you get to see Malcolm Rodriguez play on, on hard knocks and see kind of what all he, he's about. Just it was really exciting. And, you know, we're so used to it at Oklahoma State. Not necessarily uh, not wanting to watch defense, but but really tuning in when the offense is on the field. And last year, kind of felt like the the the, the script was a little bit flipped. I was, you know, anytime the defense was on the field, I wanted to be watching because it was so much fun as, as somebody who's played the game and, and how how they did it with Jimnall's pressures and, and system. So, um, yeah, looking looking forward to, to watching those two guys, especially schedule wise uh, for OSU uh, of conference games. Baylor, K-State, and OU all on the road. Uh, you know, three of probably the you know, biggest matchups in the entire league that year for OSU. Not an easy task uh, for some of your biggest games to be road trips like that. No, it's not. And, and, you know, like I talked about when we were talking about Spencer Sanders, you're going to have to have him be consistent in those games. Going on the road is, is a time where you need consistency and you need him to play his best ball because those are going to be – like you said, three of the probably better teams uh, in the Big 12. And, um, you know, I, I really think that anytime you get those opportunities, it allows you to, to put your best foot forward. And we talk about being a premier program, being a flagship program for the new Big 12. When you go on the road and those games are on TV and you play well, that's just a great opportunity. Um, and not to mention during a season, you know, anytime that you can go on the road and make a, make a statement when that helps you for that season in the, in the ranking system. So, um, you know, I look at that as a great opportunity. Obviously those are going to be tough games and those are going to be tough teams, but um, you know, to, to, to be where you want to be in the end, you've got to go out and, and, and win those games. Yeah. Uh, I'm also shocked looking at the schedule that OSU would even play central Michigan after the uh, debacle a few years ago, that, uh, that extra down that shouldn't have happened, but nonetheless, uh, That'll be the opener. I, I I would think that uh that might be one where uh, where Gundy isn't afraid to get an extra couple scores or two at the end of the game if they can. Yeah, yeah, I think we owe those guys a couple. Hopefully, hopefully the team. You know, last year the team started out pretty slow. I think that you typically don't have a uh, a non-power five out of conference matchup that you circle, but I think this is one of those few cases where you could probably mark this one down on the calendar and say, we've got to get up for this one because you know, of what happened a couple years ago. Right. And then the, the Arizona state game, the week following um, bringing a team like Arizona state to Stillwater. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it doesn't feel like that we, we've seen a whole lot of, Big-time non-conference opponents come to Stillwater. Boise State made a trip several years ago, but 
Uh, nice to see a, a power five school making uh, this type of visit here, Clint. Yeah, maybe a, a, a future Big 12 matchup. And that's exciting. And anytime you get big name brands like that, you know, uh, I think it's great and, and better for exposure. But yeah, I'm probably missing one. I know, uh, you know, Georgia came to town in 2009. Um, and that's that's probably the biggest, biggest uh, school that, that's been brought in um, out of conference. So uh, yeah, you know, I think you, you're going to sh- continue to see with the, the changing landscape of, of these these power five or, you know, however many conferences are going to be left. Uh, schools have to match up until until we get the, the conferences figured out. And somebody, you know, if they go to nine game schedules in, in, in multiple conferences. But for the time being, I think it's great. Um, you know, anytime you can you can bolster your your uh, your seasons, uh, I guess, resume. That's that's a good opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh Looking uh, at the Big 12 as a whole, uh, Clint, uh, who stands out to you? We, we know Oklahoma's got a new head coach. A lot of expectations about Baylor with Dave Aranda and company. Uh, three Big 12 teams, including Oklahoma State, in the uh, AP Top 12. Should be a very competitive league, I would think. It should be, yeah. I expect it to be be as competitive as it's ever been. I, I think if you look back over the last you know five to ten years, um, and, and again, I'm probably missing a year, but – I can't remember a year where it felt this open. Um, I, I really can't. There's so many question marks. The whole regime, regime change at OU, um, bringing in a quarterback that's, um, you know, not really played. He's he's played a lot of games. hasn't played, you know, really many Big Twelve games. Obviously, coming from from uh, Florida, UCF. but yeah, yeah, from UCF. I, I think Dylan Gabriel's an ultra talented guy. I know you, you know, always makes do with what they have at quarterback. I think we've seen that, but. You know, Quinn Ewers down in Texas, what's he going to be like? Hasn't really played many games. You, you've got Blake Shape and a younger guy at, at Baylor. Um, so I think there's just been a ton of turnover. You, you know, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, I think that there's there's five or six teams that if they get hot at the right time and, and the schedule falls the right way, um, that, that they could be, you know, right there at the end for the title. Who's, uh, who's a sleeper, uh, you think, in the league? I mean, beyond that first tier – and I wouldn't even count Texas because we we still know how talented they are. Just a matter of thing put it together. Who do you think uh, is, is that next team that could surprise some people? I'm hearing a lot of people talk about K State. Uh, you know, who, who's somebody that comes to mind? You think of that next group? You think? Yeah, you know, I think I think Kansas State is almost. Uh... They were so underrated, and that now they're kind of being properly rated, right? I mean, that they've got Adrian Martinez in there, but you know, I think. I think West Virginia could be a, a team that, that plays pretty well and maybe has one or two games that that shocks some people. You know, they've got JT Daniels in there, transferred from Georgia. I think he's a, he's a very talented guy, and anytime you have talent at the quarterback position, you can you can make some things happen in this league, and that that that's what I expect from him. Neil Brown's done a great job there, um, and so I expect. I expect them to maybe sneak up on one or two people. I would say out of that next group, maybe West Virginia has a, has a, a few weeks that we say, okay, they. Uh, you got to get ready for them. Well, and, and you bring up a good point with JT Daniels. I hear everybody talking about, you know, Shapin, Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers, you know, Spencer Sanders. I mean, here's a guy at Daniels that, I mean, he was at USC in Georgia for a reason, a former five-star quarterback. I mean, um, he's just had some bad luck. I mean, the, the, the guy's super talented, just hasn't really had the, the right chance, it seems. Uh, finally, it could be an opportunity to break through here at West Virginia. Yeah, and you nailed it. You know, you're not you're not going to those schools unless you're one of the the you know five or ten most talented people at the position in your class. So uh, the talent's there. You know, uh, he 
he's bounced around, but if he's found a home and, and he puts that together with his talent, I think I think they could really do some some special things. Yeah, uh, Quinn Ewers. Uh, let me let me ask you about him. Uh, so much hype <laughs> coming out. You know, one of the highest rated quarterbacks ever. Uh, I mean that, that that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot to live up to. And then you add in the fact that at Texas and how down they've been the last couple of years. Um, do you think he's ready for what he what he's getting himself into here? I mean, that, that that seems like a lot for a young guy to take on. It does, yeah. Um, and, and and that'll be the question, right? How does he handle that that pressure? And, and not to mention, you know, they're already talking about Arch Manning coming in and, and the money they're throwing at him. So he's got he's got some competition coming in in you know the next couple of years. So um, it is a lot of pressure. And I think you know, anytime you go to, you know, Ohio State and then transfer, you know, you're going to these big, big brand programs that you've got to understand the pressure that comes along with that, right? And um, I, I wish I had more uh, knowledge of his his game. I, he, I just haven't seen him play very much. But, but by yeah. all accounts, he's, he's you know, one of the, the top uh, most talented guys that's ever come out of Texas to play the position. So, um, you know, he's obviously got all, all the abilities, can he handle the pressure? Can he put it together? And if they, if he can, a situation much like we just talked about with JT Daniels at West Virginia, all that talent, and you find the right situation, and Steve Sarkeesian can, can bring that out of them, they could be, you know, obviously a, a very good team because we know the rest of the team is going to be talented, right? I mean, Texas always has talent at, at mainly every position, but can they put it together? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. You know, it seems like, uh, you know, the identity for this league, Clint, you were a part of this too has been offense and, and quarterbacks. And last year was, was kind of a down year on that front. But this year, of whether it's, you know, Gabriel in Oklahoma, and you, we mentioned Shapin, Ewers, uh, you know, some, you know, some of the others here, Spencer Sanders, uh, you know, Adrian Martinez coming in. It seems like that the Big 12 this year is kind of getting back to that identity of offenses and, and, and very good quarterbacks. I would expect a lot of points uh, this year league-wide probably. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the uh, the ability to transfer I think has has helped that situation out a lot because I think if you look at it, people really when you think of the Big Twelve, you think of points, you think of quarterbacks, and these kids know that. And so when they get the opportunity to transfer and they can go to a Big Twelve school, they'll know they know that they they'll get to go out and, and air it out and throw the ball and have fun with it. So I think that you know that's really kind of changed the position back in the, into the Big Twelve where it's where it's a quarterback driven league. But I will say. You know, last year um, was a bit of a down year with quarterbacks, but there were some really good defenses last year in the Big 12. And, yes. and you know, between Oklahoma State, Baylor, there's, there's always, you know, OU always plays pretty solid defense. Texas is good. But, um, you know, I think I think there's going to be some some good defenses again this year. And so it'll be really fun to see, you know, how those matchups work out as far as, um, you know, these quarterbacks that are coming in either new or learning a new system against some of these these teams that have, have talent on, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think Dave Aranda gave kind of kind of a wake up call to the league on being physical and defense. I mean, you look at that Oklahoma game last year. You know, they beat OU bad at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, part of the reason I think like a Brent Venables hire is made because you you want to see them get more physical and tougher. I mean, that that Lincoln Riley brand of, of football of you know finesse, I, I don't think wasn't going to fly in in the SEC for, for a school like OU with uh, with what they saw getting beat up by, like, by Baylor last year. Right. And, uh, you know, Dave Aranda, in, in my opinion, is one of the top five or ten 
best college football coaches in the country. Uh, and he brings that that mindset from LSU that, you know, we're going to we're going to win on the defensive side of the ball up front and on the offensive side of the ball up front. And I think that's what it takes, uh, you know, in this league to to kind of if you're going to play that way, if you want to be physical, it starts up front. And, it, and if you want to beat these air raid teams, you want it starts up front. And um, I expect Baylor to try to do that again this year. Uh, their defensive front is, is going to be as good as anybody in the country. I think probably outside of, you know, Alabama and Georgia. But, uh, yeah, he, he definitely changed the paradigm uh, in the Big 12. And and everybody's having to adjust. And, um, you know, I know Oklahoma State is has been – building towards that trying to get those guys up front on the offensive and defensive side of the ball and especially uh, it's come together the last last year and hopefully this year on the on the defensive front but uh, yeah I think Baylor is definitely pushing pushing the edge on on, on what you know how to win the league and, and they're going to continue to do that last question win on this uh, Clint uh, I saw all the money the Big Ten got in their TV deal last week and I was thinking you know guys like you that kind of paved the way aren't getting any of this and, and uh, you know, for, for what, what these guys are getting now and, and going forward, all this type of TV money. I mean, I, I imagine that would have been nice uh, if the, if the players would have gotten some, I mean, uh, whether it was you guys back then or these guys now, I mean, we always heard there's just not enough money. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there might be a little bit of money out there for these guys here. Yeah, I don't, I don't, quite know if they're they're willing to make that argument now when when they're signing what, seven and a half billion dollar tv contracts so um yeah you know nil has, has changed the game as far as being able to put some money in some of the players pockets but you know the next i guess step that probably someone's going to come along that's way smarter than me and figure out as a player or or somebody who represents a player is that we need to try to get it on this tv money right i mean there's so much of it and and you know they're the product so um, you know, in, in an ever-changing landscape of college football, I think, as those numbers become, become you know, more public and, and people start to realize how big college football is uh, financially, that, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see if, if somebody doesn't try to make a push to, to get involved, uh, get the players involved in some of this, this big TV money. Yeah, for sure. Clint, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, check him out on the – OSU Radio Network all season long on Twitter as well. You can follow Clint uh, at SeatShelf10. Uh, Clint, appreciate the time, man. We'll be uh, talking again down the line. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Go folks. Time for Coach Bill's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can reach out to Bo by email, Brian.O'Connor at LPL.com. That's Brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at LPL.com. And Coach Bo joins us right now. You can also catch him on the Coach Bo Knows podcast each and every Monday and Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bo? Uh, I imagine it's a pretty interesting time for you right now with the news coming out on Wednesday of the student loan forgiveness. And I bet you're fielding a few calls about that, how people I are have going about already it. already gotten a dozen calls since noon today. Uh, as we're recording this, it's like it's late night tonight. So, But I, mean, I got calls all the way up until 8 o'clock tonight. People call on asking. I'm, all I'm saying is, look, we don't know how this is going to work yet. I'm happy, I mean, personally, that they're going to do some stuff to help some people. 
But um, yeah, getting a lot of calls until I know more about, you know, how this is going to be put in the instituted. I think it's going to be helpful if you're eligible. If you're a person who's going to be eligible for this, I would highly tell you and advise to get a piece of it because it's going to help. And there's going to be a couple of downfalls possibly. I think they're going to address that. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, and uh, what I think about too is people that are freed up now from their student loans, maybe that payments that you were making on student loans or something like that now could be a good time, whether it's investing or buying a house or there's a lot of financial freedom that comes with us. And that's a lot of what we do is we'll talk to people and help them make the best decisions for them. Even if it means they're not doing a particular investment with us because of a, of a given situation. But if we talk about goals, the very first thing I mentioned in a lot of my meetings is, what are you looking to do? What are your goals? If you're someone who's going to be affected by this, they're going to get lower payments or maybe cancel a student loan payment, it's a great time to go in and look and make sure that you're maybe adding a little more to your retirement. You're taking advantage of that. Or if you've got you know high interest debt, you know, get that extra money over to that to pay it off. It'll pay you better in the long run. Those are the kind of questions we'll help people with. And so you can always contact us. You give the number all the time. You can also go to oagks.com. You pick the contact us. It goes directly to me. Send me a question. I'll be happy to call you. No obligation, no fee. That's great. Oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. All right, Bo, uh, Starting out, uh, some sad news uh, in your neck of the woods in Kansas City as uh, Chiefs legendary quarterback, Hall of Famer, also longtime sportscaster with KMBC 9 in Kansas City and also the original host of Inside the NFL on HBO, uh, Lynn Dawson has uh, passed away at the age of 87. And what a unique guy. Uh, I mean – for, for all that he did for, for the Chiefs, but then also as a broadcaster, too. I mean, this will never happen again. He was sports director at KMBC doing the 10 o'clock newscast while he was playing for the Chiefs. He would interview his teammates and then go do the, the news that night. I mean, Patrick Mahomes isn't doing the local news. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was so unique. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they always called him Lenny the Cool. I think of the image of Super Bowl four at halftime. He's smoking the cigarette. Drinking the fresca. Got the fresca <laughs> at hand. I mean, just everything about Lynn Dawson. I mean, he was just a badass. Yeah, you know, such a great guy, in this, especially in this community in the Kansas City area. Just well-liked by everybody. A major part of the community for really generations. And you're right. I think one of the things you touched on is he was one of the first guys that when they were when he was done with his playing career, not only did he do like local sports casting, but he was the host of Inside the NFL. It wasn't, you know, like nowadays you have the, you know, the host and then you have the analyst. He was he crossed over in that way where he could be the host. He was a play-by-play guy on the radio for so long for the Chiefs. You know, for a generation. So there's so many of those things that, I mean, this guy crossed over from just being an athlete, doing a lot of things in front of the camera and with voice that was great. And he always remained in Kansas City. He'll be till the day he died. He lived here and, you know, just always a big part of the community. So well liked. I mean, it's it's a sad day. It's a great life, though. 
Yeah. And 87, you said, is that right? 87. That's I mean, it, it will never be done again. You won't have an active player doing local TV no. every night. You know, I mean, it no, was and you won't see, you wouldn't see even the best, even the guys who would be the best at doing it. You don't see guys crossing over to be the, to be the, to be the, the, the host of a show. You know, right. Tom Brady's not going to host a TV show. Aaron Rodgers, you know, maybe in a booth one day. We know Brady will be, but Brady's going to do a play-by-play. Right. Len Doss did that and was great at it for, I mean, for how long? I mean, he just, he was, he was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then even as a football player, too, winning a Super Bowl with the Chiefs, bringing them their first Super Bowl title, mm-hmm. and he changed the game at the position, too. What was a run first league at the time you know the the afl uh and the nfl at that time too um hank stram comes in they were familiar with each other from uh when he played under stram at purdue and stram made it clear he wanted to throw the football around and lynn dawson has struggled previously playing for pittsburgh and, and comes to kansas city and stram just got that offense rocking i mean it it was uh I think Lynn Dawson's one of those guys that could have played in any era. I mean, if you gave him the technology and everything that we have now, I mean, he was, he was ahead of his time. Yeah. He was one of those first guys in that that generation of the AFL who were the first passing quarterbacks. Him, I would include Namath. I would include Unitas, obviously. I mean, he's, those are three of the all-time greats just right there. But like Unitas, you know, Dawson played for the Steelers and was cut and then goes and finds success elsewhere where it wasn't a run first team. It was a, hey, we want to throw the football. And then Len Dawson's knowledge of the game. I mean, he was just one of the smartest people in the game too. Yeah. And even as the game evolved, he stayed up with it. And, I mean, I – I mean, he's a he was a fantastic voice. He was fantastic on TV. A great quarterback, you know, just a, a, a prideful son of Kansas City. I mean, people, there's a whole generation of people who are maybe your age and younger who really don't understand who he was here. Right. I mean, he is next to George Brett, the royalty. Right. And I think that I mean, I hope people celebrate his life for a little while. I hope the Chiefs do something real. I'm sure they will. They need something really big for them, boss. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, moving on now, uh, Sean Watson's 11-game suspension is what the uh, uh, arbiter decided, and the NFL agreed to it. Uh, Sean Watson uh, agreed to it, a settlement, $5 million fine that he's handled as well, and this appears to be done. I, I'll say this. Well, um, 11 games, obviously not enough. Should have been suspended a year. It's it's disgraceful and all that. But I didn't think that this would all be settled. I didn't think that we would be here at this point. I, I thought that the NFL was going to play hardball and we would you know, at least go to 12 and see this thing get to get to federal court. But I think the NFL was scared. I don't think the NFL wanted to go to federal court. Yeah, you and I talked about this a little bit last week on my podcast. You came on the day that this is all announced. And um, I think the thing we both kind of concluded was it was time for Watson to serve a suspension, and it was time for the league 
to not have any more PR about this. Yeah. Because even if you do get, even if the arbiter to come in and said, hey, he gets a full year, then Watson's going to sue. And then that's going to be the talk every week. Will Watson play this week while this lawsuit is being done? You know, before then there'll be an injunction. Then they'll take away an injunction. And we're going to hear about that every week. And the NFL probably just says, look, we're going to pay some money in here. We're going to make Watson pay some money in here. So it doesn't look too bad. And then let's let's figure out what to do and move on. I don't agree with any of this. I mean, I've made my voice very clear, but I I don't think he's paid enough for penalty. I don't think the Browns have paid enough for penalty. I don't think the Texans. Texans got away scot-free. Yeah. Yeah, they so did. I, I watched some of the Texans preseason game this week, and I don't know. I mean, one thing I can guarantee you is that the Browns are getting a good pick in the 2023 draft because that whole franchise is in disarray. Yeah, well, well, the uh, the Texans got the Browns picks. That's what I meant, and I, yeah, yeah. And I screwed that all up. But Texans need all the picks they can get them because their roster's awful. Yeah, awful, awful. Yeah, I think so. And so, with that now, is with with seeing how this is unfolded of you know originally going to Sue Robinson, and she says six games. And yeah. the NFL appeals to their own, you know, independent person there. Yeah. It gets negotiated to 11. Um, does this do anything for precedent going forward? Is is now with these type of situations going to be, okay, there's going to be one penalty, but we expect there to be appeal and then a settlement uh, going forward? I, I feel like that we will never know in these cases, what the initial suspension really means. like I, I think there's some issue with that. I think the other thing is that I do think that once we see certain penalties adjudicated a certain way, and then you have similar type of things, like performance-enhancing drugs or you know arrests or whatever it might be, there'll be some guide rails. So I don't think we'll see it necessarily on like an every basis, every case basis. But you might see that in the first year of the CBA where they all go this way. I don't think it'll be as high drama as Watson. Also, the salaciousness of it, I think, kind of gets away from that. But if it's an important situation to a team or to a player, and maybe it's a player who's trying to get to an incentive and they realize they missed four games at the end of the year, that they're going to be in trouble. So they say, well, let's try to get that penalty to next year. Maybe the team gets involved in that negotiation. There is a little something shady about this whole deal. But at the same time, I think for most things, we'll see sort of things adjudicated a certain way and say, here's what we're going to have moving forward. Because a lot of the things, a lot of the suspensions and fines we see are similar type of cases. This is obviously a much bigger and much broader case. Right. Right. Uh, Staying in the uh, NFL, a couple more things here. Tom Brady returned to the Bucs this week and said that it was a family vacation that they had planned, uh, that he was not on the mass Singer. Uh, the other rumor was that he was getting divorced. Uh, sounds like things with him and Giselle are going on just fine. But even with that, both he had all season, all off season to go on vacation here. I mean, I, I'm not questioning Tom Brady's 
love for the game or anything like that. We, we know, I mean, you're playing at 44, 45 years of age. You know, obviously his, his love of the game is there. That's not the issue here. But there's something off here. I mean, the, the, it did seem odd for him to be gone during the middle of the preseason like this when, you know, there's a time to connect. You know, they're going through a lot of changes. You know, that offensive line doesn't look very good. And they got some new receivers there. And for him just to disappear like that, I mean, what what really happened? Do you think we'll ever know? I think he retired. For, I think he was thinking about retiring. You think he took time off? I think there's a part of him. I think there's a part of him that wants to play and wants to play on Sunday. Yeah. And, and wants to win the game and be with the guys throughout the week in the season. So I, I don't. Don't, don't, I don't question his love for the game. What I do question is that he does – what's he want to do in the offseason now? Right. And, and we know he's taking extremely good care of himself, the TB12 thing, everything he does is documented. But what I mean is, man, if you're missing preseason, if, if you're not even in the facility because you went on vacation, that seems kind of weak sauce to me. I, I And I got no – nothing that says this. But my thinking was he was probably saying, let me go fishing. You know, this was Brett Favre. It would have been I went fishing for a couple of days. Think about whether I want to keep doing this or not. He, it's starting to me to sound a little Brett Favre-ish. Yes. You know, and just like, okay, well, I think he wants to play on Sunday. But I don't think he wants to be in the, in the, in the sun and in the heat of Tampa in, in August when he's been 20 years in the league. I, I kind of get that, you know, and, and you're certainly going to make some exceptions for Tom Brady, but I think this was, it could have been a test of how much can I get away with? I don't think it was that kind of, um, you know, full, um, you know, nefarious situation. I do think that it was something where he probably went back and said, Hmm, do I really want to? What I found odd, too, was the messenger in all this, the, the guy that was talking about it was not the current head coach, Todd Bowles. It was the former head coach, Bruce Arians. Yeah, and Arians. We were told that Arians was in an advisory role, but if he's speaking on half of the team, how much control does Arians still have around there? Is he is, – is Bowles a puppet and Arians is calling the shot here? I mean, what, what, why was this message, you think, delivered – from Arians, as opposed to Bulls, that was odd too. Well, I think Bulls is busy trying to get a team together, and I'll and I'll bet that was the way the conversation went down. Was hey, somebody from the front office, whether it's the GM or you know BA and BA's case, look, everyone respects Bruce Arians, so you just say, hey, he's going to go in front of the mic and tell us what's going on. You know, you got a first year coach with a whole lot of injuries and a whole lot of changes on your roster. And you're trying to, and your only goal is to win the Super Bowl. And so I think he's just probably saying, I don't want to deal with this. You guys handle this. And that's what my guess is on that. Um, you know, I think it leaves the Bucks in a little bit of a lurch. If for no other reason, when you have Tom Brady in the locker room every day, everyone gives everything they've got. Yeah. You know, we've we've seen this stuff with how these guys, I mean, he is royalty to, to football players, no matter who you are. And he, you know, him not being there, you know, what was it, 10, 12 days? Yeah. 
you know, it was a little longer than it was expected to be. I, I just, I think he understands his role as well. And I think that was part of his thinking was, do I want to do this? I, I, I think he was going to retire anyway at the end of the last year. And that whole Dolphins thing happens and there's a tampering deal. And then it was, hey, let you and Sean Payton could be together. And he really wanted to play for Sean Payton once before. And it was like, okay, you know, that could get to be something that whets your appetite. Maybe I got a better chance. And then knowing he was going to get into ownership, possibly, that whole thing gets torpedoed. And, you know, that's going to leave a bad taste of how you feel. But he doesn't, he also wants to control the narrative that he's, you know, the guy who he's called all the shots. He doesn't want somebody else telling him it's time to retire. Right. There's a lot that goes into that mental thing of him, I think. And I think that he's trying to listen to all sides of it. And then I think this is a way of clearing his head, whether it was intentional that he was clearing his head or intentional that he was thinking of retiring. I don't know. But I'm speculating. I do think part of it was he was thinking about retiring. So last thing on this. Uh, on, on the Tom Brady aspect. Yeah. By the end of October, do you see this when when this is months past? Is there any long-term effect? Do we look back if the Buccaneers get off to a slow start or if they're on the brink of not making the playoffs and some of these experts now are saying they won't even win the division, you know, and all this, like some, some of those guys. If – if that happens, if they get off to a slow start or aren't what they're made out to be, do we point to this at all? Does this have any effects on the season at all? Or I don't, or I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I I remember it was a couple of years ago. They were three and six at one point, you know, yeah. and it was nine games. This is, I think it was his first year in Tampa. Yeah, they, they won, won the Super Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and they, they were three and six. And then they run off seven in a row, three games in the playoffs, and they win a Super Bowl. And, you know, he just – it was – people were saying early that year, oh, this is done, this is not a good fit, look how bad they are, he's not used to them, they're not used to him. You know, Arians is trying to get him to throw the ball 50 yards down the field, which he can't do. You know, stuff like that. Can it affect? Yeah, but if there's anybody that it would affect the least upon is Tom Brady – and not just because of his mental toughness, but the toughness that he brings to everybody else. He's truly a gritty player because he his grit is different. It isn't tough guy. He gets hit 10 times a game. It's I'm here putting in the work. And so if I am, every guy on the roster is. And that's what's so weird about that 10 to 12 days is that that's usually not what Tom Brady is. I've been right. a critic of his at times. That was one crit- criticism I would never have given him. Yeah. And I do think that you just look at the situation and the age and go, well, he probably do- he probably needed that. And I don't think week eight or week 10 or week you know, 15 is going to matter. Yeah. It's going to really depend on who- how good that team is. Right. Uh, a couple quarterback battles uh, going on real quick. Just want to run through yeah. it. Uh, Panthers, name Baker Mayfield, their starter. Yeah. Uh, Seattle, uh, we hear from Pete Carroll. He says it's they have two number ones, which we know how the saying goes. If you have two starting quarterbacks, you have no starting quarterback. Uh, Geno Smith will start the final preseason game, but Drew Locke's expected to play more. And then Pittsburgh, uh, Trubisky's played good. 
Pickett's played good. Mason Rudolph's played good. And we're seeing Pickett get some first-team reps, uh, although Trubisky has started all the preseason games. Tell me about uh, those situations there uh, with, with those teams. What, what What's let's, going on in those teams? your Steelers first. I, okay. Trubisky's played pretty well. Yeah. I think he's a starter coming out the gate. And I think that Pickett's going to be there if there's an injury or if Trubisky doesn't play well enough to the expectation. I think Kenny Pickett will take over. I think Pickett takes over like after a bye week or something. Yeah, I can see that too. But I think really only if there is a reason, if you're really in it. Because like I don't think the Steelers necessarily are in it this season. I, I just they're not a bad team, but they're no, not. No, they're not. Great they're, they're, they're not a team I see winning ten games. And I'm of the merit that you need to win ten games to get in the playoffs. Um, I don't see them winning less than six either. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to see a two and fifteen team from the Steelers. That just that's just not going to happen under right. Mike, Mike Tomlin's watch. Period. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if they're a team that you know, hey, we're better than we thought we were, or maybe we're just not quite as good as we think we can be, you know, it's hard to switch to a rookie to think you're going to go up. Right. But if they're in it, as long as they're in it. It's going to be Trubisky's deal until yeah. until they feel like he's hurting them, and that even what's the bad part of the kid is better than the the good part of Trubisky. Right. But Trubisky's played well, and I mean he's not out there. You know he's not out, not Tom Brady out there, but he's playing well enough to get that job. Just put some tape together to be somewhere next year. But he has a two year deal, so he might be two years. Yeah. Ago. Um. But. Uh, Kenny Pickett's played a lot better than I thought he would. Yeah. Yeah, he's been good. Uh, how about Seattle and then oh, yeah. Seattle is that – you said it, took the words out of my mouth. It's if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. I am a strong proponent of that. I, I've had two quarterbacks before and you have zero. You have to make a decision. You should have get off the pot. Um, to me, I would go with Geno Smith. I just think he's more athletic. I think he's got more experience. And I just – I think he's a better quarterback. But I'm not – I'm also not their team. I don't know what they're doing. They've got to do something with Drew Locke. He was too important in the trade they made for Russell Wilson to either not play or not play enough to trade him later for something. So I I don't think he's great. Yeah, I mean, it. I think I would go – with. Gino, I think you you Gino's the kind of guy that can take you to the middle of the pack. I don't know that you can get to the middle of the pack with with um um or Drew Lock. Drew Lock, yeah. I'll I'll say this on that situation, Bo. I think that if you told me, okay, I need one of those quarterbacks to throw for four hundred yards and four touchdowns. And I had to choose between the two. I'm choosing Drew Locke. If I'm choosing a guy that's going to turn the ball over less and be able to manage a game better and control things, I'm choosing Geno Smith. If you're Pete Carroll, I think, and Shane Walder in the OC, you're choosing, okay, do I want somebody that's going to manage the game better or do I want somebody with maybe higher potential but more risk too? See, I think it, I think you're half right. Now, I do think Geno Smith's a much better game manager. 
But I think his athletic game, you're saying that if you're going to need a pure passer game, yeah, Drew Locke's the guy who can drop back 40 times. But Geno Smith can drop back 30 and leg out 10. Yeah. And I think he can give you a dimension that will keep you in games. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that he, he, he athletically has more upside to me when you play that type of offense. He's a guy who can make you a play on third and six with his legs. Um, that may be better than the extra 10 passes you get with Drew Locke because we just don't – we've never seen Drew Locke play as good as he may be capable of. Yeah. And so, I, to me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I'm like, I wouldn't have taken Drew Locke in that trade any damn way. I just – I'd have been like, no, nah, give, give us – Give me another second. draft pick or something. Yeah, give me a fifth-round pick. I don't want to pay this guy. But they had to figure it out, and they're gonna. And you know, with these teams who have two quarterbacks, there's gonna be an injury at some point. Someone's gonna tweak something. They're gonna be out a week, or they're gonna be out two weeks or a month. Hey, never bad to have that. So, who was the third one? It was uh, Baker Mayfield. Baker didn't start in Carolina. Hey, well, that didn't surprise us either of us that Baker was gonna be starting quarterback. We both predicted. We both thought Baker was the guy because, frankly, staff needs it. Best upside. Best potential is the only way it's win-win for them, for the Panthers, is to put Baker out there because the best of Baker is really good. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen the best of Baker Mayfield, and it can be exceptional. Now, he's not consistently that good, but you, he's never really had a back like this with McCaffrey and a, a staff that I, mean, I think – jumps pretty good. Yeah, but McCaffrey's a difference maker. I mean, his dualness. I mean, he, him, Kamara, and a, and a couple others are as good as you're going to find at that sort of position. Uh, Austin Eckler is one of those kind of guys to me as well. That is just going to be able to eat up yards and having it to where you can have a guy who can catch out of the backfield really helps a struggling quarterback at times. So when Baker's not feeling dangerous. Having a back he can throw the ball to, you know, five, six, eight times in the game really is a nice safety for Um, You know, I, I think the other thing on this is that this is finally a coaching staff that they know that they're locked in on Baker. He has to be the guy, so it's their best interest to make him the guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, real quick, uh, talk college football uh, real fast. Brett McMurphy of uh, the Action Network is uh, reporting. Uh, he told Paul Feinbaum today that the Big Ten is uh, going to add four Pac-12 schools. The Big 12 will add four Pac-12 schools and be the end-all, be-all of the uh, Pac-12 as we know it. That the four corner schools go to the Big 12 and that the Big Ten gets Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. With all that being said of how that works out, that tells me a couple things, Bo. Not only the, the death of the Pac-12 here, but big win for the Big 12, survival of the fittest. We go to four power conferences. But also, if that happens, that, that means that Notre Dame to the Big Ten is dead for now because that puts you at 20 – and you don't take Cal if you can get Notre Dame. I mean, like Cal yeah. and Notre Dame isn't even close. There's there's a lot to dissect from that if it goes out that way. Yeah, 
I still think the next, and I don't disagree with what's been reported, but I think that I the Big Ten is going to try everything they can to still get Notre Dame first. Um, you know, I was listening, we were talking beforehand about a couple of things I had heard as well. And it looks like in the Big Ten's contracts, they have certain escalators, but it's per team. Notre yeah. Dame is the one team that escalates them the highest. Um, some colleges, they have a certain number assigned to them. Some don't have any number assigned to them. It's a pro rata increase. In the SEC, the current ESPN deal is a pro rata increase. I suspect that, okay, so NBC is currently talking to Notre Dame about right. trying to extend those rights. Notre Dame, we, we've heard a couple of different numbers, but if the number we've heard which was, I think, 60 and 70 million, basically coming out to 10 million a game, depending on the season, the home games from Notre Dame, it would come out to the Notre Dame would actually do better joining the Big, joining the big Ten. Yeah. So Much basically this, this negotiation is against sort of a predetermined number, and Notre Dame has to figure out whether they want to try to get a little bit from their ACC deal because they get the smallest piece of that without football. And then what they can maximize from NBC. Now they get a lot from NBC being Notre Dame. Right. But they're going to come out a lot better money-wise. We're talking the numbers I'm hearing were 100 to 110 million. Yeah. That Notre Dame would be able to go up to by bringing all sports to the Big Ten. Compared to maybe 60 in yeah, 60 a deal to 70, with the yeah, yeah, 60 or 70, and again, it's based on what year, how many home games. So you figure on the 70 number being the highest, and then whatever they get from the ACC, they're getting from the ACC is not $30 million. It's not no, even. It's, it's for basketball and Olympic sports. Yeah, they're ten. probably getting, you know, four or five. Right. If that. I mean, it's not going to be a significant amount whatsoever. Notre Dame is so much better off in the situation. And it was wow. smart on Fox, NBC, and CBS to make that deal because all three of them will get those rights. Notre Dame's home games would likely still be the games on NBC. Right. And then the road games would be the ones that get moved to Fox or CBS. This, that's actually kind of brilliant. But that, what those, the, the fact that those three companies came together and made this kind of deal, is really brilliant. And Fox is the one to put it all together. It was a pretty smart deal. So, looking at, for example, Notre Dame's schedule for this upcoming year, yeah, you get USC, uh, Navy, Stanford, and that's it for their traditional rivals. Yeah. Okay. Um, you go to the Big Ten, and you could continue to play SC. Michigan and Michigan State can come back on the schedule. Purdue can come back on the schedule. Um, I mean, you could bring Stanford with you. And, I mean, you could play a conference schedule with five or six rivals. You can actually play more of your rivals in that Big Ten than you can play now as an independent. Yeah, and I don't, and I'll bet you the dollars of donuts that's been brought up already in negotiations, because when Notre Dame got rid of their their set with Michigan, that took one of their biggest rivals off. Michigan State was gone, you know. Right now, Notre Dame's biggest ones 
uh, what they've got. Their biggest, I mean, Stanford's a big game for them. The USC is their biggest game. But, I mean, do they really need this Notre Dame Navy game? Notre Dame Syracuse? You can still play Navy in the non-con. Navy would Yeah, happen. and then, uh, like this year, Notre Dame does have Ohio State. So if you want to create a rivalry, well, there you go. You're already playing each other. They got this year and next, if I remember correct. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it'll only help all those teams. And, look, we know the Big Ten's already said they're going to 20. And right. and what they were doing is trying to push the SEC to do it first. And they're and Big Ten's also trying to get an idea of what Notre Dame wants to do. Right. Because they don't want Notre Dame to be laying around for – I mean, if you go to 20 and the doors are shut in the Big Ten, I don't see the SEC bringing in Notre Dame. Are you going to really let the ACC pick off Notre Dame? Or is the Big 12 going to go make a deal with Notre Dame? I mean, why let one of those conferences do it when you know it's a natural fit? Notre Dame's rivals have always been Big Ten teams. Yeah. You know, you keep a lot of tradition by going to the Big Ten. Yeah. They should have been in the Big Ten this whole damn time. That is the uh, football fix for this week. Bo's going to stick around. Thomas Bridges here as well as uh, we do our draft segment this week. And, boys, uh, this has been a lot of fun to do all summer long, but I hate to break it. This is our final draft of 2022. And uh, I got to say, we have been uh, very entertained. Tom, uh I applaud you and Bo for getting the creative juices flowing because uh, we've had a lot of fun with these drafts. Before we reveal and get into this next draft, is we're going to draft the fake tough guys to end uh, draft season for 2022. What's been your favorite drafts or, or some of the things that we've done over the last couple of months here, Tom? Oh, it's it's. I think by far my favorite one so far has been the uh, convenience store items draft. <laughs> <laughs> which you had a distinct advantage of as the former quick trip employee around here. But it's true, but it just took a turn for the better towards the end. And it just, uh, that was, that was the best one. I think. What about you, Bo? What's been your uh, favorite draft we've done? I don't know my favorite draft. My favorite moment was definitely you taking Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> very first draft. Very first Stalin. draft. Very first pick. We, we drafted people named Joe. People named Joe. And, and I think Joseph Stalin. Jonesy took not Joseph Stalin. And I, I think that set us off on a magical course of the drafts. <laughs> and I think that if you were going to say what set the pace. That set the tone. The pick of Stalin was definitely the pace car. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know how many people called Joseph Stalin Joe. Like, what's up, Joe? You know what I mean? How like, you doing Right. <laughs> What's going on, Joe? How you doing? You know, I I I think most people called him Stalin or Joseph, you know, for uh most of his they probably got smacked in the face if they called him Joe at some point, you know. Might have got shot. Jones almost said his career. Right. Yeah. So we've had that that was a good one. I like the conspiracy theory draft last week. Uh took a lot of disclaimers to get through that one, but a week's gone by, and uh, we've not had any legal action come against us. So that's a win. So with that, uh, this week uh, we close out by the drafting the fake tough guy draft. The You could call them 
douchebags or however you, you phrase them. I mean, these are guys that think that they're tough, but they really aren't. And um, we all just like, we all know these type of guys. You know, we're going to be naming off people that, that exist, you know, popular people in real life. But in actuality, Bo, we all deal with these exact type of people in our own lives. And yeah. everyone hates these type of guys. I mean, these are just representing the, the guy that, that yells at the ump at the Little League game, but in real life. I like the way you put that. that yeah, it's really kind of telling this league when you have the Tlaib issue down in uh, Dallas. And Ooh, yeah. yeah. And I like Akeem. I like I do, Akeem. too. I hated that story. I, man, I like – I've always liked him. So, yeah, we'll just uh, – we'll keep it moving. But, uh, yeah, the, the guy that yells at the uh, – the, the, my favorite is the guy who yells at the umpire. The, you know, the, the, kid, the 16-year-old kid that's out there umpiring. Right. Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah. I had one yell at my son when he was 16 like that. <laughs> my kid came He was just crushed. He was like, Dad, what do I, what do, I do? I was like, when you, when you got his team again? And he says, I got his team next Thursday. I was like, I'll come to the game. <laughs> I just sat up there, just arms crossed, waiting. <laughs> As Bernie Mac was said, I wish a motherfucker would. <laughs> 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 oh yes uh so that's that's what i think of like the guy that yells at an up in a little league game what what do you before we draft the individuals tom what comes to mind of, of these guys that we're describing i think just kind of a, a general asshole or just a not a, a not a good person um i mean to be fair, does this go for stereotypical type traits, or is this? Are we we're talking real people, movie characters? So we're we're drafting in real the people slash movie char- characters. Like, yeah, um, you know, it, it's up to your discretion. Bo wanted names. He, he's a name guy. So yeah, but I'm coming around the idea of including a certain type of person too. I I like the names. I, I got a list in mind. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. So I have the first pick this week. Uh, Bo's got the second pick, and then Tom's got the back-to-back. Um, and so the very first name that comes to mind to me, um, he is now a former football coach. Um, he was known for having a hydration chart where he literally made told his, his players they were bad teammates if they weren't hydrated when they pissed and he mocked other te- taunted other play- players and other teams during games, he was not a winner. He failed as a coach. He was a bad person. I can't stand him. Um, Tom Herman is my first pick. Fake tough guy, Tom Herman. I can't stand his ass. I will always root against him, not just because he coached in Texas. He was perfect at Texas for all the wrong reasons. But Tom Herman is the uh, first pick for me. Uh, Bo, uh, you're on the clock. You like that pick? To get us started. Yeah, here? That's not. That's not bad. It's not bad. But uh, obviously, somewhere Tom Herman has pissed in your weedies. <laughs> you, you went on a nice little rant there. That's really good. So, um, I tell you the one for me, and this one is. Uh, 
as we all know, I'm a sports guy, but we also on my podcast talk a lot about wrestling. I'll tell you who my number one guy is. This guy's a total poser. Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Total non-tough guy. This guy breathes and snarls, brings in smoke and snarls like a ball and couldn't break wind if he wanted to. My fake tough guy, number one pick is Bill Goldberg. Okay, he's uh, he's from Tulsa, actually. So <laughs> um, there, there's a guy that I won't say his name that that Bo and I used to work for. We called him the Rain Man, and he oh. went to school with Bill Goldberg and was obsessed with Goldberg. Still is, yeah, it still is. And both of us were like, yeah, you know, f Goldberg. We don't we don't care about Goldberg. Um, yeah, so th- that's what comes to mind when I think of Goldberg was it was Rain Man. Um, Tom, back-to-back picks. And you guys mentioned Goldberg, too, and I just sent it to the group chat. Yeah, I just Man. thought I've seen it before. Tulsa, it was a show on 97.5 KMOD. It's called Phil and Brent in the Morning. I believe it was in the morning, but a lot of the times I heard this guy, they would one of them, and, and one of them died. And I think it was Brent that did Roy D. Mercer. But his his prank oh. call character was Roy D. Mercer. R.D. Or R.D. Mercer. How big a boy? <laughs> yeah, M-E-R-C-E-R. He called Goldberg one time. And it's it's one of the better prank calls of all time, in my opinion. And, and just, just Roy D. Mercer is great. Yeah. Uh, if we were doing the funniest funniest people of all time or funniest prank calls of all time, Roy D would be my six in a row. Uh, <laughs> How big of a are you? I got a 55 gallon double whoop ass down there, boy. Down there and whoop somebody's ass. You oh, know? Roy D like Mercer, Hank, a Tulsa legend, yes. It was, like a, it was like Hank Hill from King of the Hill and decided to become a badass. I sell uh, propane and propane accessories, damn it. You go to buy these propane accessories. Or I'll kick your ass. <laughs> All right, Tom, go ahead. A propane tank full of whoop ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, with that said, I'm going to go. And, and you know, one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, It'd be 808s and Heartbreaks, one of the one of my top albums of all time. The guy is just for one, I, I think I, I think he's got a mental disorder of some kind. And and I still listen to some of his music. I still DJ when I DJ, I still play a lot of his old tracks. I just total douchebag, just out of it. And literally in another world sometimes. I'm going Kanye West. I knew Kanye was gonna get picked in this draft. Uh that, that was a obvious. Very, very good pick. Kanye uh, yeah. had to go in the first round by somebody. That's that's yeah. that was gonna happen. He was on, I think, all of our boards at one yeah. point. Uh Kanye, your pick. Tom, uh, you get another pick here. You know, and I will stick uh I will stick with the well known people. I won't do any crazy movie characters, anything just yet. Um, but I'm gonna go with another guy who all time Video game legend. Uh, I mean, he's up there with the greats in terms of video game characters when he played. Um, but just a just a general piece of shit, and <laughs> it's an overall pos. 
he did his time and they let him back in the NFL. And, you know, when I, before all this happened, I enjoyed watching him play and I played with him on Madden 04. And by now you should probably know who I'm talking about if you're about my age. And it's going to have to be Mike Vick. Yeah, I mean, definitely fake tough guy when you talk about dog fighting and killing, having dogs kill each other, you know? I mean, like, what the hell was that about? Now, you know, Mike, Michael Vick did pay his debts back to society and all that, and, you know, he he paid off his debts, and and uh, as far as I know, he's turned his life around. But, I mean, that whole ordeal was just bizarre and uh, and, and so dumb on his part. Uh, yeah. Bo, Bo, who do you got next? All right. Um, I got someone who is he was an actor. I guess they still he still acts once in a while, but I just can't stand this guy. This guy is the, the biggest, like, fake tough guy douchebag of all time. Steven Seagal. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is a guy who, if you if you had a conversation, if you've ever heard, like, his quotes, he is, like, an expert in everything. Like, if he was on the Jones Report, all of a sudden, he would know the greatest. He would know the most about everything because he learned it in his karate training or whatever the, <laughs> f- the whatever Haya RT's into. Um, but he is, like, the worst person in the world. Now, you know, he spends most of his time in Russia, and he's kind of a – of a, of a yes man for Vladimir Putin. But uh, that stuff aside, the guy's a fake tough guy. And now if you see him, he looks like someone stuffed a big balloon around him. And he's still trying to tell people how tough he is. The one thing that's tough about him is the stakes he eats at the end of the night. It, just, yeah. My choice, Steven Seagal. Okay. Um, all right. So back-to-back picks for me here. Um I'm going to start out with uh, – I'm going to go with an actor. I'm going with Ben Affleck here. Uh, ben Affleck, annoying as hell, thinks he's the funniest dude in the room. Um, I mean, this man cheated on Jennifer Gardner for the nanny. I mean, what what was the wrong, what was wrong with Jennifer Gardner? Have you seen those Capital One commercials? I mean, come on, man. What are you thinking? And, and then – J-Lo comes back in his life and he takes J-Lo away from us too. I mean, okay. I guess he's got something working right with the women, but I mean, my goodness, like, dude, you had it made and you screwed all that up and uh, no respect for Ben Affleck. Next, I'm going to go to wrestling for my next pick. Um, this guy, Bo, I- I'm surprised that you didn't take him in either one of these, these picks. I bet he was on your board. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon, the ultimate fake tough guy. Um, you know, had the recent allegations come up, yeah. the way that he watered down the WWE, what was a, a tough, exciting thing years ago. And, you know, now you, you got, you know, Johnny Knoxville doing his nonsense. And, you know, it's such a watered down product from what it was. And it's all because of Vince. WWE is going to be better without Vince and with Triple H leading the way going forward. Vince is my next pick. I go Vince there, both. That is not a bad pick whatsoever. Uh, not, go ahead, Tom. You got something on that? Oh no, no. I I I I appreciate that pick. That's a solid one. Yeah, I just I agree with 100 percent of what you said there, Johnson. Yeah. 
Uh, Vince McMahon and I will be fighting. Not even I can save his wrestling federation. Luckily, his son-in-law is doing a hell of a job. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like Triple H. No one's taking Triple H in this draft. No, the Triple H will whoop our asses. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, right yeah. now, I got a knee injury, too, so I couldn't even run. And he's a good dude, Triple H is. Yeah, it seems like it. Everything Vince happens. is just an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bo, you're up. Put it on me. All right, so this is going to be one that a friend of mine is going to hate me for. But this person, I absolutely despise literally everything this person. He's an actor, and I despise any movie this person's in. I've never liked this man in any movie I've seen him in. I think he's been in a couple of movies, but he's been the worst parts in those good movies. Vin Diesel is my next fake tough guy. Great pick. Vin Diesel. That guy and everything he believes in. This is a guy who took a character and is now trying to live the character. Vin Diesel is no better than Ric Flair in my book when it comes to trying to live your gimmick. I mean, at least Ric Flair's fun. Uh, Vin Diesel's a f***ing douchebag and there's <laughs> nobody who will ever change my mind about that and I would bet if he walked in my office door right now I could get up and whoop his ass there I've said it people might not agree with me but you know I got a little something in me just bring it that's a Vin great thing and his movies suck they suck those Fast and Furious movies are awful every day Vin Diesel should get up and thank The Rock for saving those movies. Because without The Rock, those movies don't continue. Yeah, I hate Fast and Furious movies. Oh, my God. I you know, why, you know why I also hate them? I have a special place in my heart for those movies. I despise them. Is because if you go back to the original one, the guy who died, what's his name? I haven't seen it ever. The actor, the actor that was, like, he was in a bunch of Paul, Paul Walker. Paul, Paul Walker. Paul Walker's character's name is Brian O'Connor. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> I was Brian O'Connor in 1975. I've never changed my name. Where do you think the nickname Bo comes from? I didn't name myself that. No. Fuck that guy. Fuck that whole franchise. And fuck Bendy's. I'm done. Okay. That was more passionate than your other two picks uh, there. Um, uh, Tom, back to back. You have Kanye and Mike Fix so far. And I'm going to go with uh, and and Bo, I think you might know this guy. And Jones, I think you probably should maybe. A lot of uh, VH1, MTV, TMZ type shit here with this guy. Uh, do you, did you ever watch The Hills with Lauren Conrad? Yes. Like, oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Been off from Laguna Beach. Well, the hills, there was another girl, Lauren Conrad's friend, Heidi Montag, and she is off and on married. I think still married at this time um, to a guy on the show that was just the, the, the douchiest guy I can remember, Spencer Pratt. Oh, and he's he, horrible. He was terrible. I think he still is terrible. He's almost 40, but he's 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 terrible. Uh, I mean, he's he's one of the worst he's uh, he's one of the douchiest guys probably of the late 2000s okay so i don't know who that is i just googled him and based on google image alone i will agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. i mean he's, he's terrible he was he was horrible uh he looks probably, like someone who just wants to be punched in the face so why not oblige a very punchable face why not oblige he, 
he has a very punchable face. Another punchable face coming at you with the back to back. Uh, also from the probably more mid two thousands. Um, and and we're gonna go with a one that this this is kind of a weird. This is one that it popped into my mind here just recently. Dated Britney Spears or was married to Britney Spears, and it's Kevin Federline. <laughs> I mean, talk about. I, I don't even know words to describe him besides just just a douche. You know, um, there's one good thing about that dude. He got some of that money. I mean, I don't blame him. I, I'm, I'm sure being the douchiest guy like that, I'm sure he did get to some money. So, I mean, you know, there, there's plenty of dudes who don't get who don't get any of the money when they're the one who's the least famous of the two. He got some of that Britney money. So I respect the game, but I do think he's a douchebag too. I think it's a good thing. I mean, like a, he, he looks like Kid Rock's son. Yes. Yes, I would agree. He looks like a relative of Kid Rock, for sure. Yeah. So that's, those are my two. All right. This is on me now? So uh, Yes, it's you, Bo. Uh, I'm going back. I'm in the sports world on this one. This guy I hate. This it's so funny. It's such a running joke on the Coach Bono's podcast that now we just say this person is my least favorite athlete currently in, in the in all of sports. Kevin Durant. Ooh, oh, great pick. Great pick. I despise all things Kevin Durant. I'm glad he took the L and he has to stay in New Jersey. I would trade him anyway now. Just because he doesn't want to go. I don't like the way he moves around from team to team, you know, acting like he's the guy. He hasn't ever been the guy. He's not the best player on his team. I mean, he is now, but they're not a good team. That clearly those teams in Golden State were, were Seth's teams, not his. And I just don't like the guy. I think this guy wants to be LeBron James so bad, and he'll never be. <laughs> okay my next pick this is really good and you guys are going to be jealous you didn't take this guy mm-hmm. think of him first i'm going to go with my next pick skip bayless skip uh, bad. has bad. the worst takes he acts like he wants to challenge these guys that he would never you know face the music with in public and talks a lot of crap that he can't back up um, and is so horrible on television and has been such a cancer to sports media. He's done more bad than good. Skip Bayless gets my pick there. I know you like that pick, Paul. I love that pick. That's a great pick. (laughs) I despise. I mean, Skip Bayless is my least favorite person in sports of uh, 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 sports media, and that's a media that has cat that has uh, Whitlock in it. So if I like, if I dislike you more than Whitlock, that's pretty good. The thing too, like with with Bayless, is it's the lack of self awareness. Like yes. at least with Stephen A, he he knows that he's obnoxious and annoying, and yes. he plays off that. You know, he kind of he laughs at himself. I mean, he make fun of himself, and, and even though Stephen A still loves himself. Skip has absolutely no self-awareness of any kind. How much would you pay to see Troy Aikman in a room with Skip Bayless 
I'd pay a lot of money. I'd pay a lot of money. Well, and then like that whole deal when Charles Barkley said he'd kill Skip Bayless if he could, and then Skip like went on an emotional breakdown and all that, and how that how much that hurt him. I mean, you talk so much crap on everybody else, and you got mad about that. Fake tough guy definition. Love it. <laughs> Tom, you like that pick? Yeah, that's a pretty good one because I do not like Skip Bayless either. <laughs> My next one. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with an athlete here and the ultimate, another total fake tough guy that he, uh, he hurt my team and he can't back up anything he does. He's not that good of a player. Talks a lot of smack. Can't back any of it up. Patrick Beverly gets my pick here. Oh, uh, that's a- I can't stand that man. He uh, he took some cheap shots at, at Russell Westbrook, uh, a number of players. I mean, like Draymond Green plays dirty, sure, but at least he can back it up, and he's got four rings. Patrick Beverly Tom's got nothing to show for it with as much smack as he throws around. He's you know he's got a he's he's got a couple of playoff wins, but that's about it. You know, like he celebrated winning one game, like it was the. Was a, what was the play-in game? Yeah. Celebrated like a freaking national championship. I mean, yeah, that's a great one. That's my favorite one so far of your picks. Okay. Bo, your uh, next pick. All right. I'm going to use like, I'm going to do a character this time. Can we do characters? Yeah, yeah. This may come off. Some people may not like this one, but Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. Okay. Okay. I- tough guy. Whiner. I mean, he... I've always said he is the biggest whiner in the history of cinema. Not just, I mean, just from the very beginning in the first movie, he whines and bitches and pisses and moans. It reminds me of, you know, the little brother who doesn't get all the way. And just, it's horrible. And, I mean, even in the first movie as a teenager, he was, oh, man, to, to Uncle Luke. Or Uncle whatever his name was. I'm telling you, Luke Skywalker is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> He's lucky Darth Vader didn't kill him. I mean, Darth Vader held back twice on killing him. Frankly, if it had been my son, I'd have killed him. So, <laughs> Luke Skywalker. God. <laughs> well, and why did we? Why did the the you know the the force? Yeah, Luke Skywalker and company have to win. Wouldn't have Star Wars been so much better if the dark side would have won? Well, in some of the movies, they do. Like that's why, like the the Empire Strikes Back is my favorite one because they do. Yeah, I mean, Darth Vader wins, and I, I like Darth Vader. Right. Although I do like that new Obi Wan Kenobi show. That, that that thing that hits. I liked it. Okay, uh, Tom. I don't disagree with you. I think at the end, when they made those other three movies, the the good guys couldn't lose because that was some strange <laughs> going on. Yeah, uh, Tom, uh, your final two picks. Jones, uh, to to go back a couple of picks on your Patrick Beverly. Here's something to make you hate him worse. Uh, as of about forty five minutes ago, um, the Lakers have traded. Um, finally, they traded uh, Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson for Utah Jazz, fairly newly acquired Patrick Beverly. So Patrick Beverly back to L.A. 
I saw that. Gosh. That even makes him worse. All right. Go to an aging Laker team that thinks that they're tough. Um, That's pretty much it right there. I guess final two. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with two characters here. One, one real life. One an, and like animated. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw you guys an animated one for my final one. But okay. Pick before. I'm gonna go with maybe the biggest douchebag in a movie, and at least in a sports related movie. And I'm going with Happy Gilmore's Shooter McGavin. Oh, I love Shooter McGavin. That's a good pick. Shooter McGavin. That just, just terrible. And he got pulled. Um and told the cops that he was oh I'm Shooter McGavin. <laughs> so that's that's my second to last, and then I'm gonna go with one from an old Disney movie. Uh, this one sticks out, and and kind of Jones maybe in your childhood too, and I'm sure Bo's seen this movie too. Uh, we're going Beauty and the Beast. We're going with Gaston. 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 Guy who tries to pull bell and can't and just acts like a general tough guy. Okay. That'll wrap. That's an interesting choice. He wasn't on my board, but an interesting choice. Uh, Bo, you're uh, your final pick here. I, I, I'm gonna. I have. I think it's gonna be one or two. One of two people for your final pick. I'm down to three. I'm down to three. I don't you want know. me to guess what your draft board yes, is. Yes, let me see if you can guess one of the three. Okay, the two. I'll, I- give, you, I'll give you a hint. One's an athlete, one's an actor, and one's a politician. Okay, I know the politician, but there is somebody else that I'm shocked that you did not have there of those. I thought Dave Portnoy for sure would be on yours. He's in the reserve wing. I, I he's not really a fake tough guy. He's just a douchebag. Because I would have taken him a couple. If it had been just the straight up douchebag guys, he would have been the number one overall pick for me. I just and then I Donald Trump up and then Donald him. Trump's your other one, right? Yeah, I just would have traded my whole draft if I could have had those two. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pull the dick out here. Um, <laughs> you gave me a little time. I'm gonna go with Alex Rodriguez. Hey, Rod. Okay. That was the athlete. I had two a good choice. places. I, I like A-Rod, but he very well deserves to be on this. Yeah. A-Rod's getting to the point where every time he talks, I think he's lying. <laughs> I thought that was already the case. No, I, I he genuinely, like on his, uh, what do they call it, the, 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 the thing he does on Sunday Night Baseball, He's uh, trying to tell stories, but it, he just doesn't come off likable at all. And then, like, he had Derek Jeter on. Did anybody see that yet? Yes. If you haven't, go out of your Showed, way. Uh, the shirtless picks. Yeah. Jeter got pissed about that. Neither uh, Jeter was pissed the whole time. He did not want to be there. He yeah. clearly was begged by ESPN to do that because yeah. of the Jeter documentary. No, he... He wanted nothing to do with being on camera with A-Rod for 30 minutes. The whole thing was very unusual to watch. So I'll go with A-Rod. Okay. All right. Uh, my my final pick here. Um, this one this one's tough uh, you know, for my final pick. The other ones I felt like 
were were more obvious, uh, but now down to the the very end here. Um, hmm. Let's see. That that's tough. I'm I'm open to suggestions, Tom. Who of of my final pick? Who should I take? If you wanna, if you wanna just blow uh, Bo's mind, you'll take Donald. <laughs> yeah, I've got one for you. It's actually a fake tough guy. <laughs> what about Jim Jordan? Jim Jordan, okay. Um, Cruise. Let's did see. You Tom, did you say Tom Cruise? Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. I think the Tom Cruz. That'd been good too. <laughs> um, let's see. Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to go. I, I figured this out now. It took me a minute to think about, but I saw a documentary recently with this guy in it, and he. I highly recommend watching this documentary, folks, because it uh, it reminded us of this story and how mentally weak and soft this guy is and tried to build himself up as a tough guy, and he just really wasn't at all. Manti Teo is going to be my final pick. Oh, man, you had to do it to him. Manti Teo. Uh, folks, I highly encourage you to go watch – the new Netflix documentary on Manti Teo uh, and the girlfriend that did not exist. The fact that he could not bear all that and that he was dumb enough to get catfish like that and, and everything that followed through. And, and, and then I don't know if he was in on it or not, if, but the fact that he didn't go public with it right away and hit everything. Manti Teo is my last pick there, Bo. I am a guy who has been anti Manti Teo. Yes. Since all that happened. When he joined my New Orleans Saints, I was so angry. Like, I booed him in the Superdome. I, um, while in full regalia, I mean, I'm in the ball cap, jersey, everything, and he, and I'm booing him. Get the fuck off the field. I mean, just, I hate him. Here's what I have not watched the document. I hear it's excellent, by the way. I do. I've heard it. It is. Excellent. And they try to make you feel bad for him. And that's what I've heard. And then I did think about it. And I went, well, looking at a 20, 21-year-old kid. And you start looking at it in 2022 20, eyes. I kind of become more sympathetic. Um, but then I don't know how much that is when you hear that idea so many times. It kicks around in your brain and you go, eh, maybe I acted wrongly on that one, too. Maybe I should take the yell a little bit. I don't know. I, I I see where you're going, and old school me would have definitely been on that train. Yeah. I do want to watch that. I do want to watch the Netflix documentary, see if it changes my mind. But I've been someone who's been vocally against him. And and mainly for that reason and because he went to Notre Dame. So the yeah. the other names I thought about. Uh, beyond what you guys had suggested, my undrafted free agents, Urban Meyer. Well, that's mm-hmm. a good one. That's I a didn't good one. want to take two coaches, though. I thought I chose Herman over Urban Meyer, basically. It was going to be one of those two. Um, that was the name. Another one for me, Meta World Peace. Uh, 
also known as Ron Artest. Um, I, don't, I, don't mess with, I, don't, I don't mess with Ron Artest. No, 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 no. I'm not messing with Ron Artest. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> Metal World Peace, I mean, the whole Malice in the Palace ordeal, attacking people in the stands and him you know, not wanting to play before that and the way that he cowardly left the uh, the Pacers and – and the man that traded the Kings didn't face the music, you know, after all that. Uh, and Metal World Peace would have been a, a, one, of, one of my choices. The, those would be the next guys in line for me, Urban Meyer and Metal World Peace. Uh, Bo, you're undrafted. Uh, Donald Trump, Dave Portnoy. Uh, Dave Portnoy, definitely. Mr. T, when I went old school. Yeah. Um, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. O.J. Simpson. That was the one I had. I was like, that might be good. Um, yeah, I guess a couple of my kind of off-the-board guys. I was real happy with my draft overall. So, How about you, Tom? Who are some of your off-the-boards? You know, if I could go back and change my last pick now that I thought about it, uh, I would go back. I'd take Gaston off the board. And I would replace him. And I can't believe no one said this because it just came up to my mind. Uh, and I can't believe I didn't think of it either, especially because he's been in the news. One of the fakest tough guys, though. Oh, come over here and say it to my face. Gay frog, Alex Jones. Alex Jones. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Yeah, that's one of the best. I, that would have, if I could go back in time, I would change that pick, and he, I would put him in my top three, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, I'd get, throw you another one, probably be like Charlie Sheen. Another good idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Jones is, is the sleeper, though. I can't believe. I thought as soon as I thought of it, I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe no one took him. Alex Jones could have been the captain on my team. Damn. He could have been the captain for all of our teams. Yeah. He's the fakest. Um, so here are the drafts. I don't know if he'd been the, I don't know if he would have been the captain of Tyler's TV and Skip Bayless. Oh, yeah. And that's a really good pick. I think I had the best value pick getting Skip Bayless in the fourth round. Yeah, my team was Tom Herman, Ben Affleck, Vince McMahon, Skip Bayless, Patrick Beverly, Manti Teo. Bo's team was Bill Goldberg, Steven Seagal, Vin Diesel, Kevin Durant, Luke Skywalker, and Alex Rodriguez. Tom's team was Kanye West, Mike Vick, Spencer Pratt, Kevin Federline, Shooter McGavin, and Gaston. Hey, can we can we also mention that Tom's number one pick? Kanye West was a really great pick, too. Great pick. That was a really great that, – that one and Skip Bayless are probably the best two picks. I still can't believe the Alex Jones. If I could go back, I would have took an Alex Jones and then Kanye and then probably come back around for Mike Vick. Uh, I might have gotten Kanye before you there. Yeah, Kanye on, was going on, first two rounds. On the back-to-back, I would have – I would have – I would have subbed out. I would have subbed out uh, Mike Vick for Alex Jones. What do you think of the the uh, the teams here, Bo? I think we got four or five, we got three really good teams. I think Tom, that last pick was a little. I just don't know who that is. I didn't know a couple of Toms. I mean, I, I didn't know who Spencer Pratt was. But again, once I Google image the guy, I was like, okay, yeah, that that flies. Um, you would have had a daughter. You would definitely have known who Spencer yeah, Pratt was. Probably, probably. Um, you know, Federline was a good pick. Shooter McGavern. I like that you. I like that. At least we got some. You know, a couple of the uh, um, characters in there. 
So I, I, I like I like the team. I like everybody's team. Tom, what do you think of the uh, the teams assembled here? It's pretty good. I, I think they're pretty good all around. I just sent you a picture of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty good all around. Like I said, I I could have I could have swapped out Gaston with uh, Alex Jones and felt even better. But I think overall, I think we all did well for the for the final final draft of the season. Yes, I think we uh, we went out with a uh, with a bang uh, on this one. Now uh, there there's a cartoon character from like a, a PBS cartoon that Iron Sheik is always calling out all the time. Uh, starts with a C. Um, I'm trying to think of what his name is, but but Sheik, uh, it, th- this guy would have probably been my character pick if I had a character. Um, what is it? Uh, I can't even say again. It's a character. Yes, I pulled up Iron Sheik's Twitter. See, he picks on Hulk Hogan a lot, which I like. He does. Hulk Hogan would have been a good pick. Yes, Hulk, Hulk. Hogan would have been a good pick. Uh, Cal Lou, that's who it is. I don't know who that is. Oh yeah, the bald headed kid. Yeah. I guess he Caillou. He, he's talking about Caillou. Caillou, yes. Yes. Um, there used to be a Google Google gimmick on Caillou where you would you could ask Siri, why do people hate Caillou? And it would give you a good answer. I forget what it was now. Or why does Caillou suck? Yeah. I, yeah, Caillou is so depressing. Oh my God. I remember that when my son was young. Yeah, we had to sit. He went through that short little phase. Caillou is like, um, to kids' TV, Caillou is kind of like Kurt Cobain. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's talented, but God damn it, it's depressing. Golly. <laughs> I never did watch that. Yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see if I can find Iron Sheik's tweets on Caillou here. Uh, let me see that. Iron Sheik Caillou. Caillou. Uh, F that piece of ass Caillou. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, Caillou. I, I don't understand the beef, but I guess uh, a lot of people have some disdain for Caillou. He, he could have been on the board. but Here's a good one. I'm like, I got to read this one. Okay. You got to bleep this. Okay. Caillou. This is Myron Sheik on Twitter. Kyrie, you, Kyrie, you are a punk, no good son of a bitch. You are lucky I don't find you. Put you in the camel clutch. Break your fucking neck. You are the jabroni of the earth. I never respect you. You low life, skinny garbage. Come on, you fuck, Kyrie. <laughs> Whoever does Iron Sheik's Twitter, please get at me. I would love for you to lie. <laughs> About a cartoon character on PBS. <laughs> I just want someone to draw the Iron Sheik with Caillou in the cowl clutch. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, will, I will put this out there. I will pay $250 for a good drawing 
a large enough that I can frame it of Caillou being put in the camel clutch by the Iron Sheik. My favorite, since we're on Iron Sheik tweets, uh, my favorite Iron Sheik tweet ever. Bo, you know the show, The 700 Club, right? Pat of Roberts? course. Yes. This is what got me to like turn on, not just follow him, but tweet notifications on Iron Sheik. Uh, 700 Club, what kind of club are you? I'll be honest with you. I need you to hurry the F up and be over so my day of football and cold beer can start. <laughs> I like his like short ones too, where he like he'll he'll dap somebody up, you know, and then especially if it's someone who's passed away, he'll be like, "I love you, Bubba," you know, or just every so often he'll just put one out like this, Humpty Dumpty, go f yourself. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty was never a tough guy. He couldn't have been in this trap. We all knew. Yeah. Falling off the wall. Yeah, I think I don't think he really tried that hard either. Uh, <laughs> Guys, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll do it all again next summer. Uh, Bo, thanks for sticking around later than uh, you, you you typically do for doing thanks, this, this segment with us the last couple of months. And how I about, we'll be on the how about next week? How about we do one more draft of Iron Sheik tweets? There's a lot to choose from. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, in the immortal words of the Iron Sheik on Twitter, good night and go f*** yourself. <laughs> Final segment before we go. Time for our Tom Fulgery story of the week where we tell you about something ridiculous happening in the world. Thomas Bridges is standing by. Tom, where are we going to this week? Jones, we are going back to Cali. Um, we haven't been to Cali in a while. I don't know. They know how to party. Yeah, they do, you know, and, uh, and this guy seemed like, you know, he was having a good time too. Um, and this comes from New York post. This was out on Tuesday. I believe the, this act or this, what I'm about to tell you happened on Sunday. It's past Sunday. And like I said, articles from New York post reads, Police investigating A's fan, as in Oakland A's athletics, uh, seemingly caught in stadium sex act. The Oakland Police Department has launched an investigation from two ML after two MLB fans at the Athletics and Mariners game on Sunday allegedly engaged in a sex act in the stands at Ring Central Coliseum. The Oakland Police Department was not alerted to this incident until after the game, and we were advised that the A's staff slash cameras did not capture video of this during the game. We have initiated an investigation, said Oakland Police Department Public Information Officer Candace Keys. However, the parties have not been identified and no one has been cited slash arrested at this time. The violation is 647-APC, lewd acts in public, there was a fan video of it, Jones. I did watch that earlier today. Uh, it's not in detail. It looks like someone's filming them on a zoomed-in camera from across the stadium. You can't see anything, but it's pretty obvious what is going on. Um, I'll get more on that later. If charged and convicted, the couple could face up to six months in jail and a fine of $1,000. During Oakland's eventual 5-3 win against the Mariners, a fan in attendance, like I said, tweeted a video that appeared to show two fans 
sitting by themselves in the top left corner of Section 334. It's unclear if the A's are involved in the investigation. The team has yet to release a statement about the alleged incident. Jones, for the listeners out there who are listening and have no interest in searching out that video on Twitter or on this New York Post post, uh, it's, it's very clear there's a guy sitting down and there's a girl on her knees, and it's, it's very evident the dude's getting a blowjob. Uh, so what, you know, what better at a, at a classic baseball game on a Sunday afternoon than a, than a cold beer and a blowjob sandwich? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, for both parties, you know, it's some people are into the, um, oh, there's a term for it and I can't think of it because I'm not necessarily into this public, I'll just call it public acts of sex, whether that be uh, <laughs> any of the main three, um, in this case being oral. Um, Jones, there's a lot I could say about this because this is obviously somewhat of an inside joke. Um, but it's, I've never been that public with anything and I don't think I could ever be that public with anything, um, out in the open air where everybody could see or take a video. Um, listen, I feel like if they didn't get caught at the stadium, the cameras, no cameras picked it up except for fan video. I, I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I'm sure it happens all the time, um, whether that be in the family restroom or maybe in the locker rooms, whether that be a player or somebody else. I'm sure this happens all the time. Um, if it's me, I'm letting them go. I'm not even investigating it. I would, I would take this as a lesson, and then I would further put up cameras, and then if somebody else was doing it um, or was more apparent with it, then maybe I would. So, take you know why they got caught, right? Or, or why it took them so long to get caught, rather. Because uh, the A's were actually shocked they had fans in attendance to begin with. I mean, yeah. So, and, and in the you mentioned that the article, they're in the top section, whatever 334 is, looks like at the top, you're facing the field to be like the top left. Uh, no one is around them in that section. They are all alone up there. It looks like the whole section is empty. And that they were almost at the very top, uh, away from everything. I am not advocating for sex in public and this type of thing to occur. But if you're going to get away with it, if you're going to do it, I mean, no one was there anyway, technically. I mean, yeah. I mean, no one's around. You know, someone just happened. didn't bother anybody. I mean, people didn't find out until after the fact anyway. It's not like they were doing it in front of kids. Right. I mean, there was nobody there. They're just doing their thing on a Sunday afternoon, you know. What better? Well, I guess now, like, you know, well, yeah. What's what's better? Like I said, cold beer and some uh, casual public PDA. Uh, I mean, you just gotta be smart about it, you know, Tom. I, I got this friend of mine. Uh, I, I think you know. You, I think you know this story. Um, he. And his girl, they were at a football game. I think it was at OSU one time. And they went to the family bathroom. And he got a blowjob. And the door wouldn't lock. And so he just held his ass against the door. 
And I mean, nobody found out about it. I think like there was some grandma that like gave him a little smirk or something like that. But I mean, they were okay. Nobody really knew anything. They went to the family bathroom and it was no one else's business. I mean, you just gotta be smart about these things. Yeah, I think I do recall that. Um, we won't obviously name any names, even if they listen to the show or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, see, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, right, I'm, right. It was harmless, you know. They they had fun. I'm sure those those two are are are, uh, are doing great. I, I think they're 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 still together all these years. They, you know, they might be, and it's uh, I haven't talked to him in quite some time. Um, so, but yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. Some people will be like, no, absolutely not. And, you know, it, it's not like it, I, I mean, I sure, I guess it's not like you're seeing anything. It's, you know, they're going to give, it's kind of like peeing in public when you're trying to hide it. If there's no bathroom around, no, I can't say, I can say that I'm going to get so much on this. It's like, listen, if you can't find anywhere secretive, to, to get a blowjob, then, well, you know, do your best. It's kind of like peeing in public. Well, you know, if if at night you need to pee and all the places are closed and you go down a back alley where no one can see you and you're all alone and you pee, if you get caught, it, you don't, shouldn't have to, I don't know, register on anything for peeing in public. Everybody does it. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's two completely different things, and it probably is. But you know, no one really knew about this until after the game. The cops, even if they find out who did it, they're not. At worst, they get banned from the Oakland A's stadium. Which, come on, not the worst thing in the world anyway. They're gonna move to Vegas anyway. Right, exactly. So I mean, you know, maybe they feel like this is the last time they can go to the stadium. Maybe they had some good. Memories of the A's back in the Mark McGuire days when they were growing up. And, uh, you know, maybe one too many cheap beers. And that led to this. I, some people would have a very serious problem with it. To me, I'm kind of like, you know what? I, I, part of me wants to clap. I call a horrible person. I don't care. I, I, I can't, you know, as, as long as both parties were consenting, you know what? Whatever. No one was hurt. No one was. No one even knew it happened till after the fact. Till you know, way later. So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know what? I, I wouldn't even charge them. I'd say just don't do this again, um, and let those people go on without their day. Now they have a great memory that they can tell their kids for a long time, Tom. Well, I would. I would hope my dad would not be like, "Yeah, listen." <laughs> One time, Tom gave me a blowjob in the Tulsa Dream Stadium. <laughs> I would really hope. I would. I would really, really hope that I would not know that information. But you know, I th I think these two will get away with it as long as they're not mouthing. Uh, as long as they don't spill it to the world, it kind of kind of be a secret between them two. As long as it doesn't get out to the masses. As long as the guy doesn't treat, hey, I'm the guy that got the blowjob, then. I think they should be okay. So, you, you, you think that our friend, uh, the the guy that that got the blowjob at uh, at Boone Pickett Stadium, do you think he's going to be telling his kids one day, you know, bragging to them about that? You know, like, you know, hey, here's uh, 
you know, he, he brings them to their first OSU game and said, yeah, and uh, at this bathroom over here, uh, you, you, your mom and I, uh, you know, we, we had a, or, or my, my ex or whatever it may be, you know, we, we, we had a nice time right there. You know, I, I, that's a good question. I'd say if it's, I don't know, it's a double standard kind of thing. Like, obviously, a, a dad's probably not going to tell his daughter that. <laughs> and, and, and mom's probably not going to tell her son. Uh, I would like to think my dad would probably say something and try to be funny and say, hey, yeah, they're right here in this bathroom, you know. Me and my old, old lady before your mom, you know, she gave me she gave me sloppy top right here in this family restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> what would be really funny is if it was a step further and if you could tell your son, son, I never told you this, but uh, you were conceived right there in that bathroom. I mean, I feel like if you conceive a, if you conceive a child in a, in a college football stadium, like if I was to conceive my first child in in Boone Pickens Stadium on the off chance I ever get a chance to do that somehow and get away with it, if if you ever hear and I don't say a word about it, if you ever hear that my first kid is named Boone Bridges, you will know why. <laughs> And I feel like if if you have a kid that's conceived at a stadium, they're either going to be an athlete or they're going to be a criminal. It's one or the other. Well, in that case, if I was if if you know if you had you conceived your child in a football stadium, they were going to be a football star. I think I would the first thing I would do is is take my future wife and we'd go conceive a child on the on the ninth hole at, at Augusta National. For good luck, good measure. You're right, and then it'll pop out the next Tiger Woods. Oh, that's good. If it works, that I would catch a charge eventually because I'd have one in golf, football, soccer. We, I'd have a whole slew of kids, right. one on one on each plane. If that's all, it took, sure. Oh, go out, go out on the baseball diamond. I love it. Right there on the pitching mound. I would bet that this is probably actually going to happen more when the A's eventually move to Vegas than than what happened in uh, in Oakland, Tom. I can tell you what, knowing Raider fans, I, this has happened, I'm sure, already in the new stadium. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny, though? I haven't ever talked to anybody else that – and obviously I know quite a few people, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't know anybody. Um, I've never seen other stories or anybody else popping up that they've, you know, done something like this in another sports arena. I think any- doing this in a stadium beats the Mile High Club any day. I mean, in the Mile High Club, it depends. You could be on a private jet if you if you're so lucky to be. But if on you it. do it at your favorite team stadium, like. You know, there, there's all sorts of people that join the Mile High Club or whatever. I mean, it, it would be a very special moment. Let's put it that way. I mean, that is true, especially while the game's going on and there's, you know, in an airplane that you could join the Mile High Club on. Technically, there would be, you know, anywhere from a handful of people on a private jet or, you know, a couple hundred on a on a big Boeing 747. If okay. You could- I got this for you now. 
Okay, here, here's, what's, here's what happens, Tom. You're at an NBA game. You're with a girl, you know, your girl in the bathroom. And the TV volume, you can hear Mike Breen in the background yelling, bang! <laughs> it depends on if it, was a, if it was a Spurs game or not. If it was a Spurs game and they just won a, a big game. Now, you know, once in a lifetime type deal. Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah. You know, and I'd probably, you, the joke would, you know, from then on, you could hear bang and then it would, you'd never be able to forget about it. <laughs> you'd have to invite Mike Breen. Uh, he, he, Mike Breen would have to be the, the godfather of the child. Immediately. Immediately. Yes. <laughs> yeah, immediately. That would, that would be the only way. That would, yeah, that's something. Like I said, the Oakland A's couple, they should not get in trouble for it. I, I think now if they were to get caught in the act, like if a security guard was to see and catch them, I, I don't know, uh, in hand, <laughs> um, then yeah, I, I get that. But is the security that bad? Or they were obviously sly enough about it that they, if one, didn't get reported until after in the video service, which which that video is, is Twitter gold. I mean... I'm going to try to find it right now. It, I mean, it's gotten essentially blown up. Um, the OG tweet has 2.6 million views. The OG video, 2.6 million views. Okay. So that alone is a dub. You've, I mean, that's 2.6 million views is a lot more than a lot of YouTube videos. Um, so, and you know, the tweets are the best part. The New York Post that I found this on was uh, titled... My paper of record, by the way. Like, Land of the Free, and then the the, the first tweet under the, under the tweet that I saw this on was, how can you not be romantic about baseball? <laughs> Home of the brave. Very brave. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, someone else put this, Jones. I'll send it to you, and anybody listening can chime in on Twitter and let me know if you've seen this. Um, someone put, reminded me of a Blue Jays game back in the day. Sex in the window at the stadium hotel. And this is this is very apparent. And, and another thing, I didn't know that the Blue Jays had a stadium hotel that I guess was a part of the stadium, maybe? Okay. I don't uh, you know, they do it different in Canada. I don't know. But I just sent it to you on Twitter. It's very apparent. This is, you know, these two people are obviously naked. The people in the video that I saw was, uh, you know, full of clothes. Um, yeah. Someone else, I don't know if you've seen this. Someone yeah, else. These people are naked. They're not naked. They're naked. And they're, they're right. And uh, someone... <laughs> The, the tweets are the best part. We could have just read, we could have said the, read the deal and then read the tweets. It'd have been perfect. Um, someone even had me in the first half here. I thought it was a Karen. Someone said, very disgusting endorsement of even more disgusting act. Can't believe Joe and Boy Media would be okay with this. They should be boycotted and the people involved should be arrested as there's a drive in the deep left field by Castellanos and that'll make it a 4 0 ball game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and someone else said, "I heard, I've heard him bark at the park, but what might this specialty day at the ball game be called?" 
Oh, oh, that's good. I said, looks like that guy is two balls deep in the count. <laughs> and then, and then to your point, Jones, they, this guy goes, police should be investigating why fans are actually at an A's game. Yes. Oh, that's good. On that note, we got to go. Big thanks to uh, Clint Shell for stopping by, Coach Bo as well, and you, the listener. As always, subscribe to the Jones Sport new episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. You can find us on Twitter at Toggler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, uh, at Studio underscore Soapbox, Facebook.com slash Toggler Jones Live, Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox. Instagram, Toggler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, and uh, Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. And we'll see you right back here next week. Studio Soapbox Network. This show, Coach Bo, Let's Go Racing with David Starr, among others. Uh, check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be glad you did. For Thomas Bridges, Clint Shelf, Brian O'Connor, our entire crew of Toggler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.